right, welcome in everybody. Episode 40 of Force for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. A lot of things on the docket tonight, a week's worth of sports that we have to get into on this snowy Wednesday evening. Hopefully everyone stays safe in these blizzard conditions. Uh, I know in the Staten Island area, they're projecting about a foot to a foot and a half of snow. So hopefully everyone's stocked up on groceries and everybody's safe and sound and uh, makes it through the first dusting of the winter season. But we have a lot of things to get to tonight. We have to start with the New York football giants and just a complete 180 from the overall morale of both of us a week ago. Uh, fast forward to tonight, and you're not feeling great as a Giants fan because of the performance that they they put out on the field last Sunday. Uh, they lose at home to the Cardinals 26-7 to in a game that Rob and I both said that they should have won. And Daniel Jones did not give you a good performance. Now you can see from the first snap of the game that Daniel Jones was not in a good position to play that game. He was not at 100% health, and you could tell. He stood like a statue in the pocket. He had zero mobility. They didn't call any RPOs throughout the entirety of that ball game. There was no creativity on the offensive side of the ball because it was clear that Daniel Jones was limited and he could not utilize his full set of skills. And that's why the Giants offense was dormant all afternoon. They didn't even run a play in Arizona territory until midway through the third quarter, I believe. The offense was horrific. And yeah, the defense gave up some points, but... You know, you can only ask the defense from so much because they were getting worn out and the Giants were not sustaining any sort of any sort of drive on the offensive side of the ball. The defense was on the field all game long. So, you know, you can't really blame them for that. My blame in this game falls on Joe Judge. And I know we spent last week, we were waxing poetic about Joe Judge and how great of a job he's been. And and I've said publicly how I, I've eaten my words because he's shown that he is a, he's a ca- more than capable coach of this football team, this young football team. But this is the first real mishap of Joe Judge's tenure. And I say that because he should have known not to put Daniel Jones in that ballgame. We said it. This was the most important game of Daniel Jones's career if he did play. But it was very clear from the first snap of the game that he was not 100%. And you as a coaching staff need to know how to make the decision to keep your starting quarterback on the sidelines if he can't compete to his fullest and put your team in a good position to win. And it was clear that Daniel Jones could not. Now, Daniel Jones is a 22, 23-year-old quarterback, year two player. He's obviously going to want to play in these important games down the stretch. But you can't let the player dictate the decision for you. You need to be able to put your foot down and make the decision that's in the best interest of the team. Colt McCoy did a more than adequate job last week against the Seattle Seahawks and, and did a good job managing the game on his way to a Giants victory. Did they think that was a fluke and then he couldn't do it again? You know, I don't buy that. Because they sought hard to get Colt McCoy in the offseason. They thought that he he could really solidify the backup quarterback position. They made a hard push to get him. And after seeing what he did in, in a road environment against Seattle last week in a must-win game pretty much, they should have been more than comfortable letting him go out there again. So to me, that, that, that decision falls on Joe Judge, and that loss falls on Joe Judge. Now, maybe he didn't listen to the player. Maybe he, he made his own gut decision, but again— You can't tell me, you can't sell me on the fact that you saw something out of Daniel Jones during a week of practice that made you believe that he was 100%. Because like I said, everybody watching that game knew that he wasn't 100%. So 
a real big misstep for Joe Judge, the, the first one of the season. And now the Giants find themselves in second place in the NFC East because not only do they lose their game, but Washington always gets, of course, gets a much-needed win on the road against the San Francisco 49ers, and they now take sole possession of first place in the NFC East. So for the Giants to have a shot here down the stretch, every game moving forward is pretty much a must-win. And they need to win out just to have a chance at a playoff berth. And I know if they don't get into playoffs, it's not the end of the world because, like we said, the main goal going into the season was progress. But when you find yourself in this predicament where you control your own destiny, that's a game that you should have won and you kind of pissed it away with poor decision-making. So the Giants have their work cut out for them moving forward if they want to sneak into the playoffs here, Rob. Well, look, you know, going back to the initial, uh, you know, uh, uh, what you had said initially to start this um, podcast. Look, this is on Daniel Jones too. I, I, I don't absolve Joe Judge of 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 this as well because this is, you know, it, it's mostly his responsibility. But at the same time, Joe Judge learned a valuable lesson: do not trust the player. That's it. Don't trust the player. Player's going to want to play all the time. All the time, they're going to want to play and don't trust the player. When you have a hamstring injury like he had and you've seen how he struggled trying to go back into that game against the Bengals, what the hell made you believe that after a week and a half, two weeks, he was going to be ready to go? He was not ready to go. And you know what? I don't absolve Daniel Jones from any of the mistakes he made because you know what? You want to go on a field, you want to play the part of the hero, then take the responsibility. That's it. I don't want to hear about your injuries. I don't want to hear it. You're on the field. You're on the court. You're on the ice. It's your responsibility, period. I don't care. So I'm not absolving him from any of the mistakes. And now to compound it, he's got an ankle injury. Because why? Because you're so worried about your hamstring injury that you start tightening up, your body tenses up, and this is what happens. It leads to other injuries. So kudos. You both learned a lesson. The coach and the player both learned a lesson. Be smart. Do not be selfish. And at the same time, I understand you're trying to be a team player, trying to do what's best for the team, and you want to go out there and you see that your your team has a chance to maybe win a division, make the playoffs. But you know something? It's a selfish act. It's a selfish act because you knew that you could not do what you wanted to do and what you needed to do. And God knows that Daniel Jones's passing ability right now is not his strength. It's his running ability. And if he couldn't run, then what the hell is he doing in there? And I'll tell you the truth. If I was Joe Judge, I would have took him out in the first quarter because it was evident in the first quarter he had nothing. And the entire team around him stunk with the exception of the defense. Defense stayed in there as much as they can. The defense defense helped make the score not look as bad as it was. Right, right. After that, it was done. It was over. You know, so look, the offensive line was horrendous. The special teams was horrendous. But at the same point, look, you know, I listen to the radio. I listen to sports talk all day long. And you hear Giant fans calling up like the Giants, like what the hell they lost here. Relax. Last week, Joe Judge was Vince Lombardi. All of a sudden now he's Richie Kotite. I Could you just all calm down? My God, did you ever expect this team to even be in this position right now? What would you expect them to be? Do you expect them to go to the Super Bowl after last week's win against Seattle? Do Does anybody realize this is still a flawed team? I mean, dear God, could you all stop? 
They were all calling up the radio uh, today on uh, Sports Talk all week since the Giants lost that game. All of a sudden, Joe Judge is an idiot. The team stinks. Fire Gettleman. Fire Judge. It's enough. J- uh, Jason Garrett's a bum. Get rid of him. I mean, let's all stop. Do you see what what's on the field? We're lucky we got what we got out of this team right now from this coaching staff. And to defend Jason Garrett, what the hell do you want the guy to do? Do you see the wide receivers on this team? None of them can get separation. Evan Ingram drops every other ball that's thrown to him. Shepard can't get separation. Tate can't, separate, can't get separation. Darius Slayton can't get separation. Nobody gets separation on this team. You're missing your, 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 your superstar running back. So let's all stop. I mean, dear God, I know, I understand, you know, offensively we haven't done much. But what the hell do you want to do with this team? What do you want to do? Let's, let's just build it a little bit. They, 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 they created a running game because that's how they were going to stay in games. Their defense and their running game. That was the answer right now for them to win games and to stay in games. Period. They're not winning the game by passing the ball over the place. And yes, Daniel Jones threw for 24 touchdowns last year. But they were behind in every single game last year. They had nothing they had nothing else to do but to throw the ball. They were down 20 in the half, at the half. What the hell did you want it to do? Other teams were just basically going to a prevent defense and letting them throw the ball down the field. Now they're in close games. Every game's within close uh, within close proximity. They're all close, with the exception of of the of the San Fran game. Even this Cardinal game, it was twenty to seven, and I think they made a horrendous play call. And I don't know from what you hear, Jan- Daniel Jones checked off at the line of scrimmage, but it was twenty to seven late in that third quarter. The Giants had the ball on third and one on the twenty nine yard line after Gorman just just ran for nine yards. And I guess they see single coverage with Shepard, who, again, cannot create space. That's not the receiver Sterling Shepard is. And evidently, from what you hear, it wasn't so much the play call. It was Daniel Jones checking off at the line of scrimmage and throwing the ball downfield 25 yards to Shepard, who could not create space. Lost opportunity. Lesson learned. That's it. Look. The Giants were not going anywhere this year. If they were going to win a division, they were going to win a division at 7-9. and And you probably will not have Daniel Jones to play this game Sunday night. Colt McCoy will be playing this game Sunday night, and you will probably lose. Deal with it. I don't want to hear the Giant fans calling up the, the airwaves all week long again. I mean, Jesus Christ, can you get a touch of reality here? It, it, get a touch of reality here with your, with your football team. I got well, I a touch s- of reality. I said this last week. I said you you went into the season with set expectations. I want to see progress, right? And then that the Giants found themselves in a different situation in Week 14. They exceeded expectations. So as fans, you see the situation that they're in and know that they have a chance at a playoff berth here. You recalibrate them a little bit where you wanted them to make the playoffs. And if they have an opportunity to make it and they don't, yeah, you'd be a little bit disappointed. But to act as if the sky is falling, like I said, Rob, they're, they're playing with house money here. They really are. You want to see something down the stretch to know you have the proper guys in place and the proper coaching staff. You know, you don't want to get absolutely blown out here and still consider it a successful season, right? You want to see some promise down the stretch here. But to act as if the sky is falling because of this loss, you knew from the very first snap of the game that this is not going to go well. Maybe if they made a quarterback change earlier in the game, maybe something different happens. Who knows? But 
everybody's got to calm down and pump the brakes. Okay, everybody's got to calm down and pump the brakes. I get that you want to you want to have a concrete answer as to whether or not you have your quarterback. I get it, right? You're not going to see that in his current state. You're not going to. So put Colt McCoy in. Let the team try to develop even further and see what happens these last couple weeks. This is not Super Bowl or bust here. You're playing with house money. So everyone just needs to calm down a little bit and take a breath. Okay? The win against Seattle was not a fluke because I think the Giants are a competitive football team. Okay? They're not as bad as they played against the Cardinals. They're not as good as they played against Seattle. They're somewhere of a middle ground. So, you know, we need to stick to that. We can't just keep overreacting every week and going crazy. Because oh, everybody I, sounds I, like I, morons when you do that. They sound like they sound like morons. I'm like, what are you watching? What have you been watching? What have you been watching and what are you expecting? The fact that people are calling up and calling for Joe Judge's head all of a sudden and saying, oh, everybody, oh, everybody talked about Joe Judge like he was Vince Lombardi. All of a sudden things changed. Things changed over a week. Yeah, they made mistakes. There were mistakes that were made. That's going to happen. This is not a good roster. There's some good players on this roster, yes. But it's a very flawed roster that still needs some rebuilding. And maybe next year, with the with the free agency and another draft class coming in, it'll be a better team. This is still not a, not a good team. They're playing hard. They're getting coached to death. But this is not a 10-6 and six roster. Holy Lord, I, I tell you, it makes me just think that, man, there's a lot of ignorant people out there. There's well, a lot of people that watch football but are not watching football, if you know what I mean. Well, I they're watching the same it, thing. but they're not watching the big picture here. I deal with the same thing on Monday mornings a lot of the time. I listen to, to sports radio in Pittsburgh just to see what the people in the media are saying over there. And you had to see the, the, the types of responses that, again, just like you said, people calling into sports talk radio. The, the responses that they were given after the Steelers obviously dropped their, not to get too far off base here, but the Steelers dropped their second game in a row and they fall to 11 and 2. And you got people calling in saying that Mike Tomlin's got to be fired. They got to cut Big Ben. They got to sign Dak Prescott in the offseason. They got to draft Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh so he can work with his old assistant quarterbacks. I mean, like, just overhaul the entire roster as if the 11 and 0 start didn't mean anything. Now, have they played really poorly two weeks in a row? Yeah, they have. Are the Steelers a flawed team? Yeah, they are. But, like, we still clinched a playoff berth. Like, pump the brakes and calm down. It's not the end of the world when something bad happens, and it's not on cloud nine throwing a parade every every time something good happens. So it, it's not just the Giants fan. I'm not singling you guys out. But it's just – it's nauseating to listen to that kind of stuff. There's no there's no middle ground. I get having a sense of urgency as a fan, but the overreaction's got to stop. Come on now. But again, it's just progress with the Giants. Does anybody get just make progress? Just look forward to maybe next season to being better, to maybe battling for that division next year with a better team. And we still don't know what we have in Daniel Jones. But I tell you what, people were killing Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, and I was one of them. Not so much Baker Mayfield, but definitely Josh Allen because I expected more out of him. And look what these two guys are doing. Look how long it took them, two, three years, to figure it out. And so far, they look like they're figuring it out this season. So give it a chance. 
If by next year, end of next year, Daniel Jones is still terrible and he's still turning the ball over and there's still issues with him, then so be it. Then we move on. Then you have your answer. But we give him just one more year here. He had to go through a, a, a season of a pandemic with a whole new coaching staff and an entire new system. Let's give him this one more year. After this year, let's give him next season and then we'll make our decision. And I don't know either. I don't know either way what he's going to be. I have no idea with this kid. Who knows? We don't know. He has flashes of looking like he could be something. Then he has flashes of looking like he's Jake Locker. I mean, so let's all just pump the brakes and see what happens after next season. Because this season was a watch. They've given us some games. They gave us some meaningful games here. Okay, so be it. Who knows? Maybe they could pull out a victory against Cleveland Sunday night with Colt McCoy there. Let's see what happens. Maybe they're going to be close enough. Maybe they'll play a tight game. But my God, could we just see them play a good... I mean, after what we've been watching as Giant fans for the fast past five, six, seven years, let's enjoy what we're getting right now because this team is playing hard. They're staying in games. And I understand that's just basically, you know, a runner-up mentality. But it is what it is right now. Let's just deal with it. Let's just deal with it. That's it. Very simple. Very simple. Let's not be so ignorant here. Well, like Dear I God, said last and week. Here's the bottom line, Andrew. They got a foundation. They have something to build right. on this giant team. There's something to build with right now. Now, we st- again, we still don't know if we have the quarterback. And that's a big, that's a big thing. Don't get me wrong. Don't, it is a big thing, but there's still an ideal situation. But there's still still pieces there. There's still pieces pieces there. there. And I said this last week. Everybody thought that the Giants were going to overtake the Jets as the clown show of the NFL when they traded Odell Beckham, and it looked as everyone thought that the Giants were going to turn into this joke of an organization. And what a complete 180! A couple years later, they have a foundation. So accept the fact that they have the foundation. Look forward to these people, these pieces that they have in place developing. Look forward to that culture continuing to change. And then let the chips fall where they may. But you just got to calm down. You just got to calm down. This is a winnable game still against Cleveland. Maybe they could pull it out. Baltimore doesn't impress me. That's a winnable game for the Giants. Week 17 against the Cowboys. You can't tell me that the Giants aren't going to be favored in that game. Honestly, they're all, all three of them are winnable games. The problem is, listen, we don't know we're going to get a Colt McCoy. But whatever we get, we get. Let's Let's just... Let's just play it out. And, and again, I'm not expecting anything. Stop expecting things from this team, Giant fans. Just enjoy the fact that you have a team that's going out every single week and playing hard. They're playing their asses off. They're getting coached hard. So let's stop. Jesus Christ, it, 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 it's so annoying to hear that crap. It's a, what do you think? Just, just enjoy it. Enjoy it. Stop with the week-to-week opinions. Oh, he sucks. He's not good. He's great. Oh, he sucks. The coaching staff sucks. Oh, next week, they, they're they great. The quarterback sucks. Oh, next week, he's great. I, let's stop with the flip-flopping. The flip-flopping's enough. It's enough. And I'm sure you know what? You know who the other team we're going to get that with this year? Probably the Knicks. And we'll get into that later on. But I'm just preparing Nick fans, too. Let's not with the flip. Let's not with the flip flopping. The Jets we know just suck. They just suck. They consistently suck. They got nothing to build on, and we don't have to get into them anymore. So you know what? 
We can even get off the Giants right now because it's enough already. It, it is what it is. That's it. It is what. And if the Redskins, well, the Red, the Washington Football Team wins the wins the division, so be it. God bless Alex Smith. That guy came back from basically the brink of death, or having a leg amputated. The head coach battled cancer during the season. Was going for chemotherapy. And look how that team is playing right now. Alex Smith was an afterthought. Alex Smith was a favor to be on that roster. Basically just saying, okay, Alex, you made it all the way back. We're just going to put you on a roster. And here he is leading his team to victory. Two huge road wins against the Steelers and the 49ers. So, look, anything could happen. You just don't know. You don't know. And if they win the division, they win the division. The Giants wind up 5-11, and 11, so be it. But you know what? I'm seeing some some sort of building blocks. I'm looking at an offensive line, although they played terrible last week, but I think that was just a, a culmination of things. I, I just think that was just a whole cluster, you know what, that entire game. And that stemmed from the quarterback being injured and, and not playing up to, to the, you know, his his full strengths. So, again, lesson learned. Next time the coach says, you know what? We're not playing you. Period. Right. Let me and see Daniel you run. Jones. Let me see you run wind sprints 40 yards, four times without limping, and then we'll play you. Because he never really practiced fully. It was just a look, it was it was it was a bad mistake by them. But yeah. you know what? It's a mistake that they learn from and they'll learn from it. That's it. Right. And both of them will learn from it. Joe Judge will learn to not listen to the player. And Daniel Jones, as a player, will realize if you're going to proclaim that you're healthy enough to play, then you are going to be held up to the same standard that you are when you're 100% no, that, healthy. I don't so want to hear the excuses. Right. There's there is no, no excuses. excuses you're held up injury. to that standard because nope. you put yourself Sorry. in that situation. Exactly. Sorry. No excuses. You can't tell me. Uh, and, and Daniel Jones didn't make any excuses. You know, even Joe Judge, there was no excuses coming from the Giants. But you know what? They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. There are no yeah. excuses. You made this choice to play him. You go on that field. As far as I'm concerned, you're 100% to play. Because if you're not, then again, you are, you are going out there to the detriment of your team. And Joe Judge comes off as a no-nonsense type of guy. So he probably understands exactly what the ramifications were of that decision. And I can assure you that it probably won't happen again. And he's not. Uh, I'm guaranteeing you right now, Daniel Jones will not play this week. He's no. not playing. No, because now you add the ankle injury into the mix. If yeah. he was, if his hamstring wasn't good enough to play last week, even though yes. he, he battled through it or whatever, but now the ankle, you throw the ankle into the mix, there's no way he can play. He's and like I playing. said, now, I mean, the the playoff chances are looking pretty bleak right now. Yeah, and that's fine. It's That's fine. That is fine. They weren't expected to make the playoffs. And just because you got a little, you know, you got a little taste of something. It doesn't mean that they were not expected to make the playoffs. Let's stop. Let's stop as Giant fans. Jesus, stop. Well, that's the key They were difference. not expected to make it, and it's, that's it. So it just is. enjoy the fact that, you know what? Let them go out there against Cleveland and play hard. And if they lose, they lose. But if they play hard and they're in the game, just freaking enjoy it, man. Just enjoy it right now. Well, like Look I said, the next there's season. There's a huge difference between considering the season a failure and being a little bit disappointed. There is no way that you can c classify the season as a failure. Can you no. be a little disappointed because they, they controlled their own destiny and they don't get in? 
yeah, sure, you could be a little bit disappointed. I would love for my team to to make the playoffs, right? That's fine. I get that. But to to freak out and say the season's a failure, I'm sorry. They're, they're, that's just so off base. It's not even it's not even worth discussing. Oh my God, the ignorance! It's ignorance! It's ig- It's just pure ignorance, Andrew. That's what it it's is. It's just pure ignorance. That's what it is. That's what I it mean, is. What the hell? Are you, what have you been watching the last seven years? What you what, what what were you expecting coming into this season? Well, I can tell you what they've been watching the past seven years—a product that doesn't even come close to matching how good this product is. So enjoy it, enjoy right. it. You have a foundation. Enjoy it. You got to let it develop. This doesn't happen overnight. Right. Now I can understand. The only thing I can understand is I don't know if apprehension is the right word. I guess it is the apprehension to pronounce Daniel Jones as the quarterback of the future. That's a cause for concern because you haven't seen enough to know for sure. So that's the only the only uh, concern that I can legitimize, okay? But to be calling for people's heads and draft a new guy and the coach needs to go, all that stuff is just nonsense. Let it play out and let it see. You need to give the quarterback a little bit of time. That's it. And like Rob said before, he came in as a rookie, going from a quiet kid at Duke to now the face of a team in New York. It's a tough adjustment period in year one. Then year two, you add a pandemic into the mix. No OTAs. No preseason games. Oh, did I mention the fact that he had a completely new offensive system this year? I mean, this kid has had a lot on his plate. So you could criticize him if you think he's doing a bad job. That's fine. But you can't you can't go overboard saying that he needs to be replaced or that he's not the guy. You got to at least let it play out. Maybe deep down you feel like he isn't the guy, and that's fine. But you can't say it with 100% certainty yet. You got to let it play out, and it's as simple as that. Just let it play out because I tell you the truth, they're not giving him a lot offensively, and because probably because of his turnovers and his mistakes, and the fact that the offensive line in the beginning of the season was not playing well, and then they lost Saquon Barkley, one of the best offensive players in the league. You know, it it it, it it's a lot. It it was a lot there. That's it. So just go into next season. Let's see what happens. And after next season, if he still sucks and he's still turning the ball over, and it's the same issues. Then we can have this discussion. Then we could have it. But until then, my God, let it go. Just enjoy the rest of the, the last three games that are there and, and, and just and just hope that they're competitive. That's all. They win, they win, they lose, they lose. So be it. So be it. So be it. Well, and now if you look ahead to their Sunday night game against the Cleveland Browns, I mean, we saw a hell of a lot from the Browns in what I think was probably the game of the year on Monday night between the Ravens and the Browns. The ending of that game, I think there was four lead changes in the last two and a half minutes of that game, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, the ending of that game was crazy. And like you said before, Rob, one of the guys that you were a little bit hard on um, is Baker Mayfield. I know you were a fan of his coming out of college and you thought that he would be a good quarterback, but you hadn't seen it on a consistent enough basis um, with the weapons that he has because he has – a premium amount of talent on that team. You wanted to see him put it all together. And guess what? This is a couple weeks in a row now where Baker Mayfield has kind of carried this offense. And, you know, the Browns, they still got some work to do because I'd say that uh, it was probably a must win for both teams on Monday night. Baltimore needed it to stay in the race. You know, Cleveland needed it to keep pace with Pittsburgh and have a shot at the division. Now the division is a long shot, but there's a lot of teams that are up there rear end in the AFC. But that game was just insane. And now, Going down a stretch here, the Browns and, Ra- and Ravens both have a game against the Giants moving forward. They both got divisional games. Or they got a game against, uh believe that Cincinnati is playing the Ravens and the Browns play the Pittsburgh in Week 17. So two more divisional games for both teams down the stretch. And 
you know, we'll see what happens in this crowded AFC because you got Miami, who put a good fight to the Chiefs over the weekend. They what a whirlwind that game was too. Miami takes a ten nothing lead, then they're down thirty to ten, then the final score ends up being thirty three twenty seven. But you have the Colts in the crowded wild card. You have Cleveland. You have the Ravens not far behind. The Dolphins currently clinging on to that seven spot. You have the Raiders who are slipping, but they're still in the race. So it's a crowded picture moving forward here. Yeah, I, and I tell you, look, the Brown, that was probably the game of the year last uh, Monday 100%, night. 100%. What a terrific game. And, I, and I'm not one for these, you know, video game scores, 40 to 39 or whatever the hell, you know. I, I'm always, I always like a 17-13 type game, good defensive battle, little bit of offense, but that game was very, very entertaining in which you had Lamar Jackson who went into the locker room. Some people said he had to go to take a crap and some people were saying he, it was an IV. He came out with his with his arm wrapped up like he had an IV. So look, he, he comes in, he, McSoldy comes in, he gets hurt and Lamar Jackson comes running out of the locker room and on the first play, proceeds to throw a forty-yard touchdown to to Hollywood Brown. It it was just crazy that game. And then Bacon Mayfield takes his team seventy-five yards down the field, and basically, uh, the uh, uh, you know the blink of an eye, and they score. And they probably left a little too much time on on the scoreboard. It was about a minute left, and boom. Lamar Jackson takes him right down into the field. Well, field goal territory for a kicker like Justin Tucker was a 55-yard field goal, and he probably would have made it was from 75 yards because he drilled that ball. But that entire game was was crazy, and you're seeing the culmination of the Browns, and all of a sudden they got a little bit more leadership. Baker Mayfield's been playing well. Kevin Stefanski's doing a terrific job with that team. Um and, and let me tell you something. That one-two punch of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, uh, that's the best one-two punch in the league as far as running backs. Absolutely. Oh, my God. That, that is such a dynamic running game that they have with those two guys. Wow. I mean, wow. Uh, you know, Nick Chubb is just, man, that guy is so good. And, again, Kareem Hunt as well. And, and both guys, really, I, I tell you, that was, it was an entertaining game. And, and to a certain degree, I think it kind of played into the Giants' hand because that's, you know, you come into Sunday night against the Giants, and that's, you know, that game was such a letdown for Cleveland, such a deflator that it might help the Giants a little bit. I'm not saying the Giants are just going to win the game just because of that, but that might help the Giants a little bit, you know, a little bit of a, uh, definitely a deflator, you know, so... And especially, you know, you, you never know. Maybe Cleveland looks past the Giants a little bit if Daniel Jones doesn't play and they have a backup quarterback playing. So I, I kind of think that the Giants, this is going to be a very, very close game on on uh, on Sunday night, a game that w- in, which got f- in which got flexed to Sunday night. They took the uh, 49er Dallas game off and they put that giant Cleveland, on, Cleveland game on before the, the Giant game against Arizona. So, uh, you know, so you're going to have a Sunday night game there. And, and I think you're going to see a good – I think you're going to see a low-scoring game in that game. I'm looking 17-13 either way. Cleveland, Giants, whatever, probably coming down to the wire. Last team that has the ball might win it, you know. I, I'm looking at that. And Cleveland's put up a lot of points the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they're starting to click. 
But again, you're, you're seeing it against flawed defenses. I mean, Baltimore, yes. obviously their defense is very, very overrated. It's not a Baltimore Ravens-esque defense that we're seeing out of them. No. They, uh, the, Tennessee, injuries, yeah. the Tennessee Titans defense is going to be what holds them back from being a serious contender because they can't yeah. even stop a nosebleed, that defense. So, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Baker. And believe me, I'm a big Baker fan. I wish he wasn't on the Cleveland Browns because I was a huge Baker fan when he was coming out of college, as was Rob. But... Cleveland's starting to look, you know, they, they they did get a lot of disrespect, right? Because in the beginning part of the season, they were beating up on bad teams. They played two good teams, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and they got their asses handed to them both times. So it, it took a while for Cleveland to finally be respected as a competitive team, but they've showed it. I mean, they're, they're, they're going toe-to-toe with some competitive teams in the AFC moving forward here, and they finally have a system in place. I think Kevin Stefanski's doing a great job as their head coach, too. They had head coaches who couldn't get out of their own way. They had culture problems. They weren't buttoned up at all. Now it finally seems as if the Cleveland Browns are headed in the right direction, which, you know, is not good news for me as a Pittsburgh fan. But, you know, that's what they are. So it's going to be interesting to watch this this uh, this playoff race in the AFC going down a stretch here. And if anybody needs a win, speaking of my Steelers, if anybody needs a win to get back on track, it's it's the Steelers on Monday night against the Bengals. Um, cause these last two weeks and listen, I know I said before that people calling into sports radio saying that Ben needs to get cut. Tomlin needs to get fired. Stop, relax yourself. But you have to be concerned with this team moving forward. I mean, they're, they're scoring 16 points a game over the last three games. Um, their defense has a lot of injuries. Joe Hayden was out of this Sunday's game with a concussion already had Devin Bush and Bud Dupree down with torn ACL. So that defense is starting to take a hit too. And, you know, we've talked about it before. You need to have some sort of balance with the offense. Pittsburgh has no balance. They don't throw the ball down the field, and they don't run the ball. It's just dink and dunk, and the defenses have adjusted, and Pittsburgh has no answer offensively for these defenses. So they need to use Cincinnati as a pick-me-up this weekend, or else they're going to be in trouble come playoff time. Now, I don't think that, you know, a lot of people call them frauds, that they're the worst 11-0 and team in, in history and all this stuff. And, you know, Colin Cowherd's putting these videos out there saying that the Steelers are like the 10th best team in the NFL, pump the brakes, you know, people just looking for a reaction on the internet. They're still a good team, um, but you're starting to see their flaws now. And they were, they, they had these flaws all season long and they had an easier schedule. So they were able to work through it. Now they're starting to play with the, the upper echelon of the AFC. The flaws are starting to show themselves a little more. So a lot to be cleaned up for playoff time. Otherwise I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised. So I'll ask you right now, if, if you had to bet on it, do you think that Pittsburgh has a first-round exit? I think it's possible. Yeah, they got a lot of issues there. There's a lot of problems defensively. You're starting to see some flaws defensively because of the injuries that they've had. They have no semblance of a running game. They have zero running game whatsoever. Ten carries for 18 yards for yeah, James it's, Conner. It's, on a, it's, a, it's a dink and dunk offense. You know, team teams are basically adjusted to what they've been doing to Steelers the whole time, so... Yeah, I mean, look, they take it easily be one and done. They could easily be one and done, the Steelers. So, you know, I don't want to get too much into the Steelers here and get too much, you know, because we're still dealing with coming up what's going on for week 15 here and, you know, coming off some big games and, and uh, you know, games that, uh, you know, we, we, we already covered the, the, the Raven-Brown game. You know, the Chiefs already clinched their division and, you know, you have as much as you're talking about people talking about the Steelers being flawed, people are talking about the Chiefs being flawed, <laughs> believe it or not, because they're leaving teams in games. My opinion, I think that team is bored. I think the Chiefs are bored. They were up 30 to 10 in that game against Miami with no problem. 
And they let Miami come right back into that game. And this has been the, the, the Chiefs' MO for a few weeks now. Because they really haven't covered spreads, I'll tell you that. But they're leaving teams in games right now. They're not the same Chiefs that are just going up 40 on teams right now. Well, it's they, not the same. I, I don't think, think offensively they're falls, the same. I, don't, I think a lot of the problem falls on the defense because they're, they're a bad defense, but they're very opportunistic when they need to be, if that makes any sense. Like, they'll let teams drive the field on them up and down for the entire game. But at the end of the game, when it starts getting too close for their comfort, they could come up with a big-time turnover to seal the game. Yeah, I mean, look, again, like I said, I, I'm not worried about the Chiefs going into the uh, g- going into the playoffs. I, I, I just, again, I think that team is bored. Well, look at the it. Team o- offensively, right? Look at offensively. Since Patrick Mahomes has took over, is there any singular game that you could think of off the top of your head where they were shut down? I know there was a Sunday night game against the Colts last year where they didn't look great, but they certainly weren't shut down. I mean, you you can't shut them down. No matter how good your defense is, there's no shutting them down. You need to be able to, the the blueprint to beat them is you need to outscore them. Their one loss this year was against the Raiders. The Raiders were able to put 40 points on them. That's why they won the game. So, is there any is there any team that you could say with with any sort of conviction right now that you think can keep up on the scoreboard with Kansas City going into the playoffs? I mean, yeah, they have a little bit of flaws on the defensive side of the ball, but is there anyone you're confident that you could say, yeah, they could keep up with the Chiefs offensively? I can't think of anybody. No, you can't because you don't you you don't see teams with the weapons that they have. But you know the one thing about the Chiefs that didn't happen last year that's happening now to them is last year they figured out a running game with Damian Williams, and this year for whatever God reason God awful reason why they leave Edwards Hilaire somehow on the sidelines. I, I don't I don't understand with the love of Le'Veon Bell still. I think they're still looking for the Le'Veon Bell from five years ago. Uh, newsflash, that ain't happening. It's not happening. I don't think it's happening. I haven't seen enough right now of Le'Veon Bell right now that's... Because let me tell you something. From the beginning of the year, teams were basically just putting seven, eight defensive backs and daring the Chiefs to run the ball. Instead of getting into an aerial assault with them, they're saying, you know what? Let them run the ball. Yeah, run the ball. We'll let you run the ball. We're not going to let you throw it over the top like you want to. We're not letting you throw the ball all over the field. But for the love of God, Andy Reid, could you figure out a running game, please? Because you drafted this kid, Alaire, here, and, and the kid started off. He started off pretty good. He was good the first two, three, four weeks. And ever since you brought in Le'Veon Bell, your running game has collapsed. There is no running game. There's no running game. Then you're bringing in Thompson. You're bringing in the other Williams, uh, Daryl Williams, this Williams, that Williams. Tom- I mean, uh, stop. Get, establish one guy like you did with Damian Williams last year. Because as much as the Chiefs threw the ball all over the field, Damian Williams was racking up 100 yards a game at the same time, as well as catching five, six, seven balls for 60 yards himself. They had a weapon out of the backfield. Where's that? Where's that? So, look, could a team like the Bills pick them off? Maybe. Because I tell you, I, I know I've, I've been I, I, I've been a criticizer of Josh Allen. And I only felt that way because I seen that the kid had a world of talent. And I wanted to see more from him. 
And man, oh man, that second half he had against the Steelers, God bless that kid. And you know something? He's thrown out a 70% completion rate right now for the season too. So good. I'm glad he proved me wrong. Again, I want to see him do it in the playoffs. I still have to see a guy do it in the playoffs. Same thing with Lamar Jackson. Let me see you do it in the playoffs now. So can the Bills possibly knock off the Chiefs? Eh, maybe. Uh, maybe. So do you think the uh, toughest competition for them is someone in the AFC or someone in the NFC if they were to go to the Super Bowl? They go to the Super Bowl. If they play a team like the Packers, it's the first team to 50. Uh, I would, I, And I, I said that Kansas City's defense has their flaws, but uh, their flaws are, are minuscule compared to the flaws on Green Bay's defense. Yeah, it's, it's first team to 50 in that game. It really is. Now, can a team I, like the Saints neutralize the you know, City offense? Uh, 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 well, you know, we'll find that out this week. They're playing each other in New Orleans. We'll find now, out something. Let's see what happens. Too, the Superdome is not the Superdome with no fans in that building. It, it, it's not. But you know what? If they play each other again, it's going to be in the Super Bowl. So it's going to be in Tampa. So, you know, you, you'll have fans there, but you'll have fans from both sides. So it wouldn't matter. So, you know, basically you're playing on a neutral field at, at the Superdome this week because there will be no fans. So you're playing on a neutral field anyway, like you would be playing in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So let, let's see what happens here. Let's see that Saints defense. I don't know. The Saints defense the other day didn't impress me against Jalen Hurts. You know, I tell you that. Yeah. You know, they didn't impress me against Jalen Hurts. I still, I, I, I still, I'm still not a believer in the Saints. Um, I, I you know, I, boy, boy, that team just seems to, man, I, they've had some bad beats. In, in critical situations. They've had I'm, some bad beats. I'm sorry. I, that If Drew Brees is 100% in his back, it, it's a different thing. But that team is not winning a playoff game with Taysom Hill playing quarterback. I'll go on the record and say that. No, They're but not he, winning but, a playoff game. But, Andrew, even with Drew Brees, though, even with Drew Brees, they've had some bad beats. They've had some, you know, look, I've always felt that the Saints w were kind of uh, – like a bully team, especially when they were at home, because they would just rack up stats, and they and they would they would put up meaningless stats when they were up by thirty in the fourth quarter. They would just keep on throwing the ball. That's why I never, I was never, I never liked that Saints team. There was something about them that irked me. And Sean Payton's a hell of a coach. Don't get me wrong, but some reason why that team always just irked me because they always put up numbers when it didn't matter. And then all of a sudden, come playoff time, they've had the worst beats in the world. And whatever they did offensively, they failed to do in the playoffs most of the time. So, look, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I, I just... You know, now I, that we're I, having a discussion, I, th I think I would probably say that Buffalo is, uh, is Kansas City's toughest competition here. Now, I would say this. You take the Devin Bush and, and Bud Dupree injuries off the board. Let's say that they're, the Steelers' defense is completely intact and at 100% health. I think that they'd be able to do a pretty good job trying to neutralize the Kansas City offense. Yeah, but you know what they say about if. If my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. Right. So, you know, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, that's just a hypothetical situation. 
for your Pittsburgh Steelers, unfortunately, because they did lose Bush. They had lost Dupree, and neither one of them come back this year. So, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate, but I don't see the Steelers keeping up with the Chiefs offensively. I just don't. Because what I've seen of the Steelers the last few weeks, uh, uh, you know, between drop passes, no running game, uh, a defense that's getting depleted right now, uh, it, there's just not enough there. Not enough there. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't know if there's something wrong with, with, with Ben Roethlisberger. He hasn't looked the same either. The only time he looked the same was was the other the other night, and my brother-in-law kept on yelling, why don't just go to a no huddle, go to a no huddle. And as soon as they went to a no huddle, they were throwing the ball downfield when they yeah. fell behind to the Bills. It's very, very um, mind-boggling to watch them operate. It yeah, really it's is. a weird dynamic what's going on at, uh, on there offensively. And I don't know if it's your offensive coordinator or Roethlisberger calling the plays or a combination of both, but there's something that's out of whack over there with that team. But anyway, you know what? You, you're going into week 15 and, you know, it, what would have been what would have looked like earlier in the season would have been a good game with the Chargers and the Raiders on Thursday night. Just, nah, there's nothing going on there. And that is a lot of players that are questionable for the Chargers so an already bad yeah, team is Keenan Allen, Mike up. Williams. Yeah, you got some guys that are beat up right now. Eckler is questionable too, which would be Eckler is questionable. Yeah, See, he's had is, the hamstring injury. I don't, I don't mean to go back to the Steelers again, but on a fantasy perspective, I, I, I'm like screwed because now Christian McCaffrey, not going to play this week. Eckler, questionable. Uh, Deontay Johnson, who's been a great player for me all year, uh, do, is he even worth a start if he drops a if he drops a pass early in the yeah, game like well, you saw on Sunday night? He, he goes to the bench. Antonio Gibson. Have, yeah, a lot hurt. of people have these problems this this week with fantasy. What are you going to do? It's a Crazy. weird season as far as injuries. It's a weird season as far as COVID. As you see now, the uh, the Ravens are losing Hollywood Brown this week. So as far as fantasy, maybe some people lose fantasy. Uh, uh, they lose um, uh, Hollywood Brown as far as a fantasy game. Not that maybe everybody would have started him, but in deeper leagues, you probably would start him. So you're seeing that Ronald Jones is out, not only with a broken finger, which he's going to need surgery, but he's also he also went on the COVID list and up steps Leonard Fournette. So if anybody held on to Leonard Fournette, you're very fortunate right now because he'll probably get the start this week against Atlanta. So, you know. Yeah, I went into this weekend. Right now, all season long for me, because I said before, I, McCaffrey was my was my first round pick. Eckler was my second round pick. So my my top two picks have basically been on the shelf all season long. So I've been putting a patchwork team together, and somehow I ended up coming in first place thanks to Travis Kelsey, who has been my the top point getter for me, and Deontay Johnson, who's been great. But I've had these injuries all season long, and finally everybody started to get healthy. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I, I patched my team together all season. Now it comes playoff time. Everybody's healthy. I'm actually going to have some decisions to make as to who I want to start. So with the Steelers playing on Sunday night, I said to myself, I said, all right, on, for the 1 o'clock games, I'll stream a bunch of different games. Whatever whatever teams that I have fantasy players on, I'm going to watch their games for a little bit just to see the usage, you know, for a guy like DJ Chark, for instance. Quarterback change, Mike Glennon, I want to see how much how much volume he gets evidently Glennon ends up getting benched and they bring Minshew back into the game. But so I'm watching all these games thinking that I'm going to have tough decisions to make come playoff time. Fast forward a week. And now I have nobody. Like I said, McCaffrey out Eckler questionable, Antonio Gibson questionable. Miles Gaskin is on the COVID list. Uh, Gio Bernard, who has been actually pretty good for me since Joe Mixon went down. 
I had to watch him fumble his first carry, and then Samaje Ryan gets 15 carries, and Gio Bernard watches on the bench the whole time. I got no one. I'm screwed. Yeah, it becomes a war of attrition. I'm the same way. I got buys in two of my leagues, and I got problems all over the place. But look, I don't want to get too off base with fantasy right now. I, I would like to get into the Knicks a little bit because and the Nets because we got basketball coming up now. As I take a sip of water, so don't mind me slugging there. But, um, you know, you, you got the Knicks and Nets, and, and actually we're six days away from the opening of basketball. So, look, by the time our next podcast comes around next Wednesday, basketball is going to be starting. Now, look, now, I'm not the type of guy who watches preseason basketball, but just out of curiosity, I flipped on the Nets preseason game, their first preseason game. And I'm not a Nets fan by any stretch, but I was impressed with what I saw from Kevin Durant. He looks like uh, Kevin let's Durant. Pu- let's, pu- let's pump the brakes on Kevin Durant, everybody. When you remember when we were talking about pumping the brakes, Andrew, let's all pump the brakes. This is the guy come off an Achilles injury. Any basketball, this, as we said it before in past podcasts, the only guy to come back from an Achilles injury was Dominic Wilkins. And you're looking at, you know, DeMarcus Cousins and other guys like that that have not come back healthy from these injuries. So, you know, playing 15, 20 minutes in a preseason game, not going that hard, it's a big difference where you're playing maybe See, a back-to-back. That's, back that's, or, that's, that's where you're wrong. He was going hard. Nah, I had my eyes locked been going hard, the whole entire game. A, a, I wasn't even watching ta- where the ball was. I had my eyes on Kevin Durant. I'm not saying that he's going to win MVP, but I had my eyes on Kevin Durant. He doesn't look like he lost a step at all. He was going hard, and he looked great. We're gonna we're gonna see about that. We're gonna see about that because I have my doubts. I sincerely. Well, I have had my, my doubts. doubts too because you see the history. No one comes back from Achilles injuries and is the and, same player. And, and don't be fooled into thinking that he's going to be healthy this entire season. I hope he is. I don't. I don't want any superstar player or any player for that matter getting injured. But but I just go by what the facts are. And I, I see what happens. And, you know, when a guy's going hard and he's playing two, three games a week as, to, as you know, to just one preseason game, 15 minutes is a big difference. So let's pump the brakes on Kevin Durant right now until we see a, a, a fuller body of work on him right now. And again, you know, I'm not looking for the guy to get injured. I'm just going by what I've seen before in the past from other players, especially with, with NBA players. Very difficult injury to come back from. So I would kind of pump the brakes. You're not. You're probably not going to see Kevin Durant playing back-to-back games. No. You're probably going to see the old load management take effect. You're going to see that. So, you know, they're going to be treating him with kid gloves. Believe but me. But believe me, I'm not. I'm believe not blowing me. smoke because if anyone's rooting harder against the Nets, it's me. Because Kyrie Irving is the biggest clown on the planet. So I would love nothing more than for that whole experiment in Brooklyn to just blow up in their face. So believe me, I'm not. I'm not blowing smoke. I just, you know. I, I, I think he looked good, but Kyrie Irving is a clown. I think we can all agree on that. He's a buffoon. Yeah, he, he listen, he, he sound you know, I, I think somebody got to him, you know, from the net organization and told him, hey, listen, you just got to speak to the media for six minutes. We don't need to be calling him pawns here. This is one I would, we're not looking to do. And all of a sudden, he changed his whole tune. I mean, that's just Kyrie Irving being an idiot. You know what? You know. Unfortunately, but I think somebody from the net organization got to him because he sound he sounded you know he didn't sound intelligent with what he was saying for a guy that came from Duke no less. So you know he's another guy. I mean, look, it, 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 unfortunately the reporters have to give him the time of day. 
you know, so. Well, you know what? Michael K brought up a good point. He said, you know, Kyrie Irving, he does do a lot of work in the community. And when he does do that, who does he look, who does he look for to publicize the work he's doing in the community? Of course. The media. Of course. So he goes, if of I'm course. the media, I don't, I don't pay him any attention. You didn't want to pay us attention and answer our questions after your preseason game or after your practices before the season. Then you know what? We're not going to publicize whatever the hell you're doing. Right. Of Simple course. as that. And we'll see how quickly he has a change of heart. Yeah, well, you know what? If these guys get ignored, they'd be looking for the media. You know, <laughs> right. it's just the way it is. Right, because that's clowns. just the way it is. But they're clowns. Look, you know the the Nets. You know, you look at the Net team, and and I don't think this James Harden trade, as I didn't expect it to be a couple of weeks ago, would ever come to fruition. And Nets would have to give up too much of their depth. They right now, they probably, arguably, have probably the best team in the East right now. I'd have to think. I'd have to think they have the best team in the East right now. Yeah, I would agree. I think they're a better. T- I think. They have the capability of being the best team in the East for sure. And they didn't, like I said, we didn't have to, uh, they didn't have to mortgage what made them so good in order to bring a third superstar in. If they roll with this team, they have a lot of depth. Dinwiddie's a good player. Lavert is a budding star. Jared Allen's a good player. They have the outside shooting with Joe Harris. They swung that trade for Landry Shamet, another outside shooter. They have depth pieces. So they have a good starting five and the bench pieces you need to be a serious contender. So I, I would think that they're the favorites to come out of the East for sure. Yeah, there's no reason why they, they shouldn't be, I'll be honest with you. And you're going to see the Nets manage, you know, uh, um, manage the minutes and the games played by Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Because I don't think the Nets are that concerned about winding up number one in the East. I think they're more concerned about keeping Durant and Irving healthy, basically, for the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd have to think that. You know, well, and, get it, and if you're if you're as good of a team as Brooklyn is expected to be, too, it really doesn't matter what seed you draw. You're going to feel like you could beat anybody in the East. So you don't need. And who knows what happens with fans? It's not like the one seed and home field advantage throughout or home court advantage throughout is that big of a deal. We have no idea what's going to happen. So I think the primary concern would be keeping those guys upright, making sure they could still play. Availability is the best ability. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, and, and that leads us into the Knicks, and 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 again, the Knicks like the like the like the like the Giants. Don't expect much here. I mean, I don't want to see the Knicks go on a five game winning streak, and everybody's going to think that Thibodeau is the greatest coach in the world, and the Knicks are going to the playoffs, and and then all of a sudden they lose seven in a row, and then everybody's jumping off the bridge again. So let's pump the brakes on the Knicks too, because the bottom line is this: here's what you need to see as a Knicks fan. You know what you're going to get out of Thibodeau, the coach. We all know we're going to get a Thibodeau here. So he he's he's going to coach his team because they haven't had a coach in a long, long time, probably since Mike Woodson. So you know what you're going to get out of Thibodeau. He's going to coach his ass off on his team. They're going to learn to play fundamentals, and they're certainly going to play defense. The bottom line is this. You need to see that Obi Taupin, and R.J. Barrett are two players that you could build with. That's what you need to see. Because let me tell you something, Nick fans, and I'm a diehard Nick fan. There's no big free agents coming to this team. It's not happening. Giannis just signed yesterday to his extension. So anybody that had, you know, cuckoo birds going on in their head that Giannis might come to the Knicks, forget that. So you're not getting 
any sort of free agents coming here. The only chance that the Knicks have to have a, 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 a very good player to come here is by trade because of the cap room that the Knicks have. That's the only way. Otherwise, they're just going to have to do it the old-fashioned way and build through the draft. So all you want right now is for Obi Topin and for R.J. Barrett to, to be building blocks for this franchise. That's what you need. You need to see Kevin Knox step up his game. I, I tell you the truth, I don't know whatever happened to Dennis Smith because the first year and a half in Dallas, Dennis Smith looked like he was going to be a very good player in this league and a very good point guard. Well, the, I don't the, know what, what happened the, to him. The recurring joke was that the Knicks passed on him because his rookie year, he looked like an electrifying player with Dallas. And yeah. then for whatever reason, it just hasn't materialized or whatever Dennis Smith Jr. we saw a couple of years ago is not the same Dennis Smith Jr. that we're seeing now. And yeah, you know, I thought for sure that the Knicks would, would probably give him another kick at the can and, and see if he could be a starting point guard. But with all the point guard depth they have on that team, I mean, Nilakina, they're going to give a shot. They brought Alfred Payton back to give him a shot. Uh, Austin Rivers can play the point guard. So it's it's... I don't know if any of these guys are going to get enough of a chance to really solidify themselves as a number one point guard. I think these are all just stop gaps. In all yeah, honesty. they're stop gaps. You're going to see Alfred Payton probably getting a majority of the minutes because he's a veteran. But, you know, the problem is with Obi, Top Obi Topin is that, you know, he came from Dayton. Dayton was probably one of the best passing teams in the nation. And, you know, the Knicks are not. So Obi Topin needs a good point guard. And obviously, you know, we, we have a veteran point guard in Alfred Payton who's decent. But, you know, Nicolina, again, we've seen Nicolina. Probably a good role player on a very good team. He'd be a good good player on a team like the Celtics or the Heat or even the Nets for that matter, just coming off the bench, giving you 16, 17 minutes. But Nicolina is not that point guard that's going to give you 30, 35 minutes of, you know, big-time point guard play. That's not happening. Not even close. Not even close. Not even close. So again, just, just, just hope that we can develop those two guys, and and you see some progress from Kevin Knox. That's what you need to hope for. That's it. That's all to say about the Knicks, really. Because again, I, I'm expecting Thibodeau to to do a heck of a job with this team. I really am because he's 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 a coach. That guy's a coach. So I, I think you're going to see better play from the Knicks. Whether or not it translates in, in, into wins, who knows? But again, look for progress. Like I said about the Giants, just look for progress. That's it. Look for progress. Look for a couple of guys to be these building blocks for next year. It's going to take a couple of, a couple of more years because, again, we ain't getting free agents here. Not happening. No. Nope. You got to build the right way. What you need to, I've said this before, it needs to become a destination before it is a destination. Absolutely. So it's simple as that. So they, they have to be able to build it the right way before they can just hope for one person to be able to come here. And, and one factor that not a lot of people talk about is what the NBA has done with the way that the max contracts and the super max contracts work. They've kind of incentivized these guys with the cap numbers to stay where they are. With the super max extension being a hell of a lot more money than the max extension that they can get on the free agent market, and I love that. I love it, and I, and I've told you this before. I wanted to see something like that happen in hockey, 
Because, again, and I'll go back to the Carl Hagland situation with the Rangers. There's no reason the Rangers had to give him up because of a salary cap reason. After they drafted him, after they developed him, there's no reason at the age of 25 years old that Carl Hagland had to be given up. And hockey should be doing the same exact thing that the NBA does. I love that the NBA does that because you draft that player, you develop that player, you should not lose him, especially to a big market team. So offering him the big money to stay with your team and your franchise that that have that have put all the effort into building him and and to making him a better player coming out of college that's the reward that you get i love that i love it so 5 years 228 million dollars for giannis to stay as a milwaukee buck good good for him and he should stay in milwaukee he was drafted by them he was developed by them there's no reason why he shouldn't be with them no reason whatsoever no, so the, M- the NBA season kicks off on the 22nd. So uh, Nets actually open it up opening night right against the Warriors. Seven against the Warriors, eight. yeah. yeah. And then, and then you, then have you the got Lakers-Clippers as the uh, as Yeah, and the then you got the, uh, the, Chris- the three Christmas Day games. So that, that'll be fun. So I want to get into the baseball because we're starting to, you know, um, see some movement going on maybe and, and hearing some rumors. And, and we also have to touch on the fact that the, the Mets, hey, we hired a general manager, Andrew. And made a signing. James McCann officially made a signing. So we got to talk about that. I want to get into the general manager first. And from all accounts, you know, it seems like uh, everything that you read is like the Mets stole. This was the best possible hire. There's no way around it. Yeah. The Mets stole him from the Cubs. And, and (laughs) Scott Boris said, they didn't just get the Hamburglar. They got the Porterhouse. (laughs) See, there you go. But, uh, you know, Morris so not making a fool out of himself. For yeah. Me. So, so, you know, bringing him along, Jared Porter, bringing him along, I tell you, you know, it, he, he's a, he's a Theo Epstein guy, which obviously leads to, um, rumors that next year, maybe Theo Epstein comes along. So, you know, look, let's see. I mean, but from all accounts, um, it, He's he's a very very well respected man in baseball, and I think he's got what four World Series to his name um, that he's been a part of. I believe. I think it's, it I think it's three because he was three? two two with Boston and one with Chicago. Okay, and so then his look, most recent job was the assistant GM with the Diamondbacks, and they haven't okay. won anything since he was there. So I believe it's three. Three. Okay, so that's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, this is not like he was along for the ride. I mean, he had prominent positions. He was a director of of pro scouting, I believe yep. it was with the Red Sox. With the Red Sox, yes. Yeah, and that was when Theo Epstein was with Boston and then moved with Theo Epstein to Chicago, took on an even, an even more prominent role, and you saw how well that they were able to draft and, and scout internationally and develop that team that went from the laughing stock of baseball to a championship contender. Yes. Well, look, I mean, it, it was a good high effort for the Mets. And, you know, look, Sandy Olderson was on today on, on the fan with Cotton and uh, and Roberts. And he basically said, you know, for the most part, he'll have the last say as far as any sort of player, you know, uh, um, anybody, you know, as far as player acquisitions, I should say. So, I mean, look, they signed James McCann, which is the guy that we pretty much said we wanted. And again, we know Ramuto's better than McCann. We We get that. But for the money and for the fact that Real Muto was not ready to sign anytime soon, it seems like he's going to wait it out. And as I said before, Andrew, a couple of podcasts ago, you know, with the vaccination coming, 
These guys might want to wait. And you're hearing Major League Baseball itself might delay the start of the season because they want to see if they can get their players uh, vaccinated maybe by March, April. And then maybe you could start having fans in a stance as well. So you might not see movement right now with these free agents. And I think I think the Mets just wanted to swoop in, get McCann while they can get him, not having to wait on Real Muto, and then maybe having to possibly be in a bidding war with a few other teams for Real Muto. So, you know, look, there's nothing wrong with McCann. Last couple of years, he's improved his numbers. Defensively, he's good. Again, he's not JT Real Muto, but it, you know, it's also a four-year, $40 million investment. It's not going to be five at maybe 130 to 150 for Rumuto. So it leaves them more room to sign maybe a George Springer or a Trevor Bauer as well. Well, I think I think I sent you the picture. Um not sure, but over the last two seasons, um his offensive numbers are better than JT Realmuto's. And uh, as far as the defensive pitch framing metric, um, he's in the 88th percentile, which uh, and Realmuto's in the 95th percentile. So it's not right. a huge fall off in the defense. So the only thing that Realmuto has uh, a decisively wide margin in is home runs. And you know we have enough. They have enough power on this team already. They they don't need any more power hitters. They really don't. Um, so would you you know would you take another power bat? Of course. But I'm more focused, and we both were more focused on getting a defensive catcher who can also hit. And I've been saying this since day one. For the money that Real Muto is going to be making, it's not it's not a responsible investment. It's really not. Because I do think that JT Real Muto's stature in baseball is a little bit elevated due in part to the fact that there's no other good catchers in baseball right now. There's a handful of good catchers in the game right now. So I think that kind of elevates his prowess a little bit. I don't think it's it, the, the investment is worth it. I'm not just saying that because the Mets signed McCann. Me and Rob have been proponents of signing McCann from the very beginning because it allows you – Steve Cohen said he's not going to spend like a drunken sailor. They're, they're, they're going to make sound decisions. Uh, so you'd rather allocate the funds elsewhere because there's still some holes on his team. They still need to solidify the starting rotation. They still need a center fielder. So they need to improve the defense. So there's still needs. So you, you, you make the prudent move by signing McCann not waiting and waiting and waiting for Real Muto because he's given no indication that he even wants to play with the Mets. You know, the Mets were interested in him, but he's given no indication that he wants to come to New York. So rather than wait around, and then all of a sudden you wait around for Real Muto, he signs somewhere else to another team that throws him top dollar, and you turn around and James McCann was already signed while you were waiting on Real Muto, and now you have no catcher and you're back to square one again. Right. So they, they did the smart thing. They did the smart thing. That was definitely the prudent thing, Andrew, 100%. 100%. So, you know, I, I, I kind of think that you're going to see a lag now in these signings um, until sometime after the new year. And again, I think even the players themselves are going to see what's happened with this vaccine. Because from all accounts, if all, you know, you start seeing this vaccine and you're starting to see some success with it over the next few weeks, a um, couple of months, you might start being able to get some fans in the stands, which would mean some revenue to these teams. They're not going to be losing as much as much money. So you might see some of these these players waited out. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation to be in. I think it really depends on the agent, right? 
really depends on what advice the agent is giving you. Now, someone like DJ LeMayhew, you know, I, I could expect him to sign sooner than the rest of them. I think Bauer is probably going to be the last domino to fall. Real Muto, I would imagine, is going to wait a while. Um, out of the out of the big the big four, which I would classify as Bauer, Real Muto, Springer, and LeMayhew, I think Springer and LeMayhew are the first two dominoes to fall before the other two do. And with LeMayhew with the Yankees, I mean, I, I think it, I think it warrants discussion now because we've been saying since day one we both expect that DJ LeMayhew resigns with the Yankees. Um, I, I don't know if the Mets have a lot of interest. We we talked before a couple episodes ago about how we think he would be a fit after the Robinson Cano suspension, uh, but I don't know that the level of Mets interest that's kind of been kept on the down low. Uh, so I'm not saying he's going to the Mets. So don't take that out of context. But uh, I think there's. I think the concern is warranted now for DJ LeMayhew. If it was a surefire thing that he was going to re-sign, I feel like he'd be signed already. I really do. And from reports you heard earlier in the week or late last week was that the Yankees were uh, were about $25 million apart from DJ LeMayhew and that they wanted to go four years. DJ LeMayhew wanted a fifth year, and he also was looking, uh, it looked like the Yankees wanted to go between 19 and $20 million. LeMayhew was looking for upwards of $22 million. So, uh, they're they're kind of far apart, um, and no progress, at least no progress has been made um, that's been made public. But at this point, it, it's got to be a little bit concerning. It's got to be a little bit concerning. Yeah, even the Yankees' best player. Yeah, I kind of think it's just posturing on both, you know, both sides, the Yankees side and and the representatives of uh, DJ Lemayhu. So I just think it's posturing. I think they're going to get the deal done. From all accounts, you're looking at the Yankees just wanting to, you know, to go four years. LeMahieu wants five. So I think they'll get something done there. I think the fact that LeMahieu wants to be a Yankee and the Yankees need him as well as want him, I think it, I think it gets done. I think it gets done. I think you just have to remember, too, this happened, this sort of thing happened uh, back when Robinson Cano was a free agent where the Yankees weren't willing to to go where Cano... They weren't too, too far apart, but the Yankees weren't willing to match what Cano wanted. And at the time, Cano was arguably one of the Yankees' best players. And they ended up letting him walk because they they didn't they didn't budge on their offer. Yeah, um, well, that was... The money that was the Mariners gave Cano was ridiculous. And you know, the it, was, years it was 50 or $60 million more with the years and everything else, so... That you know the Yankees, and, and you know in hindsight, you look at the Yankees right now. They made the absolute right decision. They made the right decision. Walk. Yeah, right. But, and they made the right decision. I'm not knocking the decision, but I, I think you, you at some point you can't just sit back and rely on the fact that he's going to resign because we're, this just keeps dragging along. And the the more you hear and the more you read, the more far apart it seems like they are. Yeah, I don't believe that. To be honest with you, Andrew, I think they both need and want each other. So I, I think when, when there's a need and there's a want on both sides, it gets done. It'll get done. But where's the need for LeMayhew? Because he wants to be with the Yankees. He wants to be with the Yankees, but that's not a need. If he's able to get that fifth year and no, no, the need, $4 million the need, dollars a year. The need is for the Yankees. The want is, is, is for LeMayhew wanting to be with the Yankees. You think LeMayhew wants to be in Toronto? He doesn't want to be there. He don't want to be there. Well, like we always say, money talks. Uh, money talks, but unless it's 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 you know it, it, it's an astronomical figure 
as far as the contract is concerned, I think the Yankees get it done. I think but, it's just posturing again. You know what? It's I, I don't weird, think though, there's for, any concern about it. a player like him, and, and this goes back to, you know, my, my, I've been saying this for years, that out of all four major sports, baseball front offices are by far the dumbest. Um, because they just, there's certain players that are just ridiculously undervalued on a year-to-year basis, and I never understood it. DJ LeMay, who has kind of been that guy that's been undervalued. This was a guy who was, I mean, sitting in free agency with no offers when the Yankees swooped in and took him for $12 million a year for, for a, on a two-year deal, and he's been a perennial MVP candidate. And to well, be honest I, with you, there hasn't been that many public suitors. The only names, the only teams that have been mentioned has been the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Mets. And the only reason the Mets have been mentioned is, A, because they have a lot of money to spend, and B, because Cano got suspended. But we really haven't figured out if they're actually interested or not. So why aren't other teams in on this guy? I don't, I don't, well, I don't get well, that. Well, look, look, look. There's, there's a few factors here. First of all, when he first became a free agent and the Yankees signed him, everybody thought he was a product of Coors Field. And again, and I've, I've he, just proven that argument so many okay. times. Okay, what, whatever it may be. Hitter. It doesn't matter. Whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. This is what everybody seemed to believe. He was a product of Coors Field, and he was also basically a super utility player. So let's put that into, you know, into the equation for sure. As far as what's going on now, you see what's going on now. Teams are looking at the dump salaries right now. I mean, for God's sake, the Rockies are begging for the Mets to make an offer for Arenado. And they're not going to get much back. You know what they're going to get back? Either Canola Familia's contract, Brandon Nimmo, and maybe J.D. Davis if they're lucky. So, you know, you see what's going on now. There's not any teams that's able to take on money. And not see, only that. That kind of goes to wait, my point, though, about wait, he's going to want to cash in. Wait, wait. Everybody knows that the Yankees eventually will sign LeMahieu, and they don't want to be stuck looking like at the fool where they come, make LeMahieu an offer. He goes running back to the Yankees. The Yankees match it or come in a few million dollars underneath the offer that was originally offered to him. So, you know, believe me, all these GMs are privy to what's going on around with the Yankees and LeMahieu. They're not stupid. They're not stupid. And that's why you're probably not going to see any offers to LeMahieu. You're oh. probably going to see interest there because everybody knows that push comes to shove. If LeMahieu gets an offer from another team, unless it's five years at $175 million, the Yankees are going to either match that offer or say, okay, we'll give you a couple of million less. Come back to us. And LeMahieu will take it. He'll go running back to the Yankees. And the other team doesn't want to look like the fool. Well, my point was going to be, is that um, I know you just said the GMs aren't stupid. They are pretty stupid. Let's just be honest. Baseball front offices are very stupid. And my point was that a player who's been so undervalued for his entire career has finally achieved that value on the open market. So I really don't think that he would... I'm saying that there's a possibility that he does walk if there's a big discrepancy. Like you said, if if he gets offered five years, $110 million from the Blue Jays, and the Yankees say, all right, we'll give you five years for you know, 105. Yeah, he'll go back to the Yankees. I totally get that. But if that extra year and the a- and the average annual value, if there's that much of a discrepancy, I'm sorry. I know I know he wants to play in New York. I'm not denying that. He will leave. I, he will leave. I'm telling you. And I, again, I, I feel like I have to keep reiterating this because people think it's Yankee slander and it's not Yankee slander. I don't hate the Yankees. I'm just stating a fact because a lot of people are just blind and think that everybody who ever puts on that uniform just eats, sleeps, breathes Yankees, and that's that's it. 
And it's it's not always true. I know LeMay, he wants to go back. But if there's that much of a discrepancy, he's going to walk. He's going to walk. I'm telling you. He's been ridiculously undervalued for his entire career. But, he's uh, finally well, I, regarded as one of the top free agents out there. But how do you feel he's undervalued? Why? What makes you think he was undervalued? Because he's playing just as good the last two years with the Yankees as he has his entire career. And people just started noticing it because he but played. What has he York. done his entire career? One Tell me what he's titles. done. He won a batting title in, in 2016 where he hit 348. Okay, fine. He's won a couple of gold gloves, no doubt about it. But you know what his home runs were in Colorado? You know how many home? He's hit 2, 5, 6, 11, 8, 8, and then 15. He's never had more than 66 RBIs in a given season. And this is over 600 at-bats right. in, in Colorado. So how is he How is he being undervalued? He hit, he was what he was. He was a, he was a good, solid hitter. You're, you're calling him short. He is, he is one of the yeah. top. He's one of the top three all-around hitters in all of baseball. Complete hitters in all of baseball. Over the over the last couple of years with the Yankees, yes, but not with Colorado. His whole career, yes. No, no, I I can't yes. agree with that. Yes. I can't agree with that. I can't I can't agree with that. I can't agree with the fact that all right, let's let's look at his batting averages. The first two years with Colorado, well, he played with the Cubs the first year. We hit two fifty, but that's sixty plate appearances. In 2012, with 247, uh, 229 at-bats, I'm just going to go with at-bats, not plate appearances, he hit 297 with a 332 on base percentage. 2013, 404 at-bats, 280 average, 311 on base percentage. Now, mind you, two home runs both those years. Two home runs. 2014, 494 at-bats, Five home runs, 42 RBIs, 267, 315 on base percentage. 2015, uh, 564 at-bats, 300 average, 358 on base percentage, six home runs, 61 RBIs. Comes to his age 27 year, Colorado. 2016 is when he won the batting title. He 348, 11 homers, 66 RBIs. You know, this is in Colorado. Again, that's this just, is in Colorado where the hit, numbers are skewed. So the numbers are not skewed. He had 192 hits. He had 192 hits, Rob. 156 of them were singles. It doesn't matter what ballpark you're playing in. You're one of the best hitters in the game, plain and simple. Colorado has nothing to do with that. That's why I always say that argument makes no sense. You're telling me he's no one of sense. the best hitters in game prior to him getting to the Yankees. And I can't agree with that. I, I can't give you that. I can't give you that because his last his last season in Colorado in 2018 he hit 276 with a 320 on base percentage with 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 15 homers and 62 RBIs. Yeah, and a season that was cut sh- cut short by injury, and he had injuries in the middle. He of had the 530. He had, he had 533 at bats. It's enough. To, it's enough to, to to give me a basis here. He he missed some games. He played 128 games, but he had 533 at bats. So, but the injuries you know, can have a factor. Oh, come on. Listen, he, he was not that that much of a great – you're making him sound like what he was. You're making him sound like he was Mike Trout, for God's sake, with Colorado. Nobody's seen this coming from DJ LeMahieu. Uh, that's well, why, I'm t- well, I'm that's why he you, wasn't sought after at that, that's, at that that's point. Why, when the that's, why I'm, that's why I'm saying that front offices are dumb because you know who did see that coming? I did. I did. And unfortunately, we didn't have the podcast when the Yankees made the signing. But I remember the second they signed him, I wrote in my group chat, all my friends that are in our group chat will vouch for me. I said that was the best signing of the offseason. For the money. For the money. 
No, best signing of the offseason, period, because he was one of, if not the best free agent out there. I, I think I think he had him. enough. I think he had enough of a body work to look at the fact that you know what? That's why he was undervalued because nobody looked at him to think that he was ever going to do this. If he didn't do it in Colorado, where he just hit for an average, and that's what he did. He only hit for average in Colorado. Hit for zero power, zero power in Colorado. He hit for an average, and for and he three times he hit over three hundred in Colorado. Okay. So I, I, but again, I know you're saying he's not a power hitter. Then stop mentioning Colorado because Colorado doesn't factor into it at all. But it factors into it with your power numbers. That's going to factor into it. But he's not a power it, hitter. It, he's a singles hitter. Well, all of us, he got to the Yankees and he hit 26 homers. Who, who didn't hit 26 homers? Okay, but he hit 26 homers in 2019. But who didn't hit 26 home runs in it's 2019? It's not the point. The point is he did not have this sort of body work in Colorado for basically the five years that he played there. So nobody's seen this coming from DJ LeMahieu where he would, he would combine the power with the batting average. Nobody's seen this. If you did, then kudos to you. But nobody else seen this coming. Yes, he was a gold glove player. He had a terrific glove day. He won three gold gloves there. He was a multi-dimensional player. But nobody's seen this coming. It's the reason why he was so undervalued in 2019 when the Yankees originally signed him. You think, I, I, listen, Brian Cashman does a hell of a job. He finds guys. Don't get me wrong. He finds guys. But, you know, look, for what LeMahieu made, there would have been a ton of teams looking to sign him if they would have seen this coming, like for what he did with the Yankees. I'm saying you had a career before the Yankees because now his career batting average now is probably close to 310 because he had, I think he hit 360 this year in the shortened season. I think he hit about 315 with the Yankees last season. Hey, 305. So that, he's at 305. So before that, before the Yankees seasons, his career batting average is probably sitting close to 290. So you have a, a, a 290 career hitter coming off a, a year where he won a batting title. And a three-time Gold Glove Award winner. And he gets a two-year, $12 million contract on the open market. That's ridiculously undervalued. How do you figure that? Why? Coming oh. off, the, off the season in Colorado where, where, he, where he hit 276 with a 320 on base percentage? That's what he did. Well, well, Nobody's it, seen this coming. Again, everybody everybody again, you're, looked at you're, him. You're... you're, you're forging a narrative here to fit what your argument right I'm not, now. I'm not forging a narrative. I'm looking you at are because you keep bringing up on base percentage yet. Brandon Nimmo has got the best on base percentage in baseball. You say, okay. He so let me, let me ask you a question. Brandon Nimmo has these numbers, 10 home is 60 RBIs. He hits 310. Is he going to be undervalued if he goes on the open market where everybody's going to see that Brandon Nimmo should, should be getting a five year, hundred million dollar contract. Because basically what I'm looking at right now is I'm looking at a Brandon Nimmo type of season probably. I'm DJ LeMahieu got paid less money than Jed Lowry on the open market. And you're going to tell me he wasn't undervalued. He was undervalued, but he was undervalued for a reason. There's a reason why Then that's, why a, then that's you saying it's not undervalued. If you're saying he's undervalued for a reason, then you you're, believe that he was valued no. the right way. You're, you're he, contradicting yourself. No, I'm not contradicting myself. He was under, he, look, he was undervalued to you because you somehow saw this coming. He wasn't no, undervalued. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I saw the 26 home runs coming. But Exactly. That's, but the, now, that's but, the thing. But now in today's, base, in today's sport with the juiced ball, I could get up to the oh, well, you can't, 20 home You runs. can't say with the juice ball. Then you got to bring the Colorado factor into no, effect. No, because he was a singles hitter. Oh, God. He's hitting the ball on the ground. 
I know. So, and so now, anybody, now the whole anybody that anybody, everyone, everyone focuses on. But Vinny Castilla, Vinny Castilla, so Castilla Dante Bichette, all these guys that have hit tons of homers in Colorado. It was all about Colorado. It was all about the the the, the field, the altitude. There's been juice balls for years, for years. He's played in Colorado for five years. You, he's you hit 85 him. career homers and he was a, a 4200 at bats. He's hitting the ball on the ground, right? So when people when he wins a batting title hitting 348 and people says, "Oh, he only won the batting title cuz he plays in Colorado." You're an idiot because I didn't say that. I never said he won a batting title. I'm not you said it. I'm not saying you said it. The overwhelming majority of public baseball fans when he won a batting title, that was their reaction is yeah, this guy DJ LeMahieu, because no one ever heard of him because he plays with the Rockies. Their first reaction is, oh, he plays a course field. That's why. And I'm telling you, no, he had 155 singles. That's a pure hitter. That has nothing to do with Colorado. He's hitting the ball on the ground. No, that's, that's what and you now call in, a slap hitter. And now in today's that's a slap day and age. Nobody, nobody's looking for single hitters anymore. But nobody in today's is. day and age, now, you take one of the best pure hitters, pure hitters, with the launch angle, and the juice baseball. Well, now we're starting launch angles. We're starting juice balls. That's you what know, they're doing. Now we're starting other Launch angle doesn't exist. You complain about it. I don't agree with it either. But in today's day and age, that's the that's what they're teaching these players. That's the idea that they've adopted. Everybody's going for the launch angle. Everybody's trying to hit the ball in the air. And that's why every – and you add the juice ball to the equation. Everybody's power is going up. Everybody's Andrew, power is going been up. A, you, you're making it sound like the juice ball just came into effect this past year. Or the past two years. And if you're going to give me the juice ball, then I'm giving you the Colorado effect. You can't have one and not the other. But I disproved the Colorado. I how disproved are you disproving it. it? How, he how hits the dis- ball on the ground. He hits the ball on the ground. It doesn't matter what stadium you're playing in. Fly balls, fly balls tend to go out in Colorado. He but didn't he hit every single balls. ball on the ground. The fact that he's had five homers, two homers, six homers, eight homers, he's had slugging percentages in the 300s in Colorado. Come on, we've had juice balls all along. You think this is the first season we had a juice ball? No, we, we didn't have a juice ball all along. We've had a juice ball for a couple years now. We've had a juice ball for a few years. What was a few what's years? The, what's the number? What, 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 in 2017, there was 500 more home runs hit across baseball than there was the previous year? Is that when it started? I think it was probably about three years ago is when the juice ball yeah, discovered. And he hit, he hit eight in Colorado. He hit eight homers. Right. But again... Now that we're starting, we're seeing a whole change. But you're making it sound like there's a bunch of morons out there because everybody felt like, you know, nobody lauded this whole DJ Lemieux signing when, when, he, when he first signed with the Yankees. Everybody thought, okay, it was a good signing for them, a solid signing, decent play, a guy hits for a little bit of average. But that's it. That's all they ever looked at him like. That's it. That's it. Nobody's seen this coming with DJ Lemieux in 2019. Nobody's seen this coming. And in 2020, again, nobody's seen this coming. Well, I, like I said, I did minus the power a little bit. Again, I'm going to be honest. I didn't see this much power coming, but I can understand why his power numbers went up because the whole philosophy around what it takes to be a successful hitter has changed and the approach at the plate has changed. So everybody's power numbers are going up. DJ LeMayhews went up a lot. So no one did see that coming. But my original point, again, was this, this guy has been undervalued his whole entire career. And now people finally start realizing, and yes, his numbers have improved. They've gotten even better than they were in, Car- in, in Colorado. I'm not saying he has identical numbers, but he's the same player. His numbers have gotten a little bit better. And now 
when he's finally hitting the open market and he finally has the value that he thinks he deserves, I would not be surprised if there's a big discrepancy in the amount of money he's being offered by the Yankees and somebody else. I would not be surprised whatsoever if he walks and he's, and he's going to get five years, a hundred million from the Yankees. He's going to get what he wants because the Yankees need him. He wants the Yankees. The Yankees need to have him. They will not let him walk away. It is not happening. You can book that and put it in the bank, my friend. He is not going. He, the Yankees are not letting that guy go. Well, it's again, not happening. He'll get his. Fifth, he will get his fifth year. And if he doesn't get five years at a hundred million, then they'll give him four years at a hundred million. Somehow, some way, he is getting that hundred million mark, and he's getting five years. Well, again, I, I ultimately think that's going to happen. But at this point, I think there is room for concern. And I'll also say this. And a lot of teams have the same they have the same thought process that the Yankees do. He's 32 years old, and albeit I think he's going to I think he'll be fine for four his five years of his contract. I think he'll be okay. He doesn't seem like the sort of guy that's going to break down. He hasn't had injuries in the past. Hasn't had him. He has not had him. But again, in this day and age, right now with what's going on with this pandemic and the amount of losses that all these major league teams have taken, everybody looks at DJ LeMahieu and said, man, is it just is he just a product of the Yankees here with the power? Because I just don't want a guy that's going to hit 14 homers and hit 310. I don't want that. Because you know what they want? They want the guy that's going to hit 240 with 40 homers. That's what they want. Because that's just the way baseball is now. And that's why I tell you that the front offices are dumb. Because the teams oh, that have those players, maybe, maybe they are, but that's just the way baseball is going. Well, again, that that goes back to my main point. My my original statement was that baseball front offices are dumb, and I think we pretty much wrapped that whole thing up, and we came to the conclusion that they are dumb because the teams that build that way do not win ball games, or they don't win championships, I should say. No, but that, again, that's I, I look. I don't agree. Uh, to me, give me the guy that's going to hit fifteen homers, forty doubles, and hit two ninety. I don't want the guy that's going to hit 40 homers in 235 and strike out 200 times. And I'm, I don't the, want same, and I'm the same way as you, which I don't is want why it, but I I'll, thought that DJ LeMahieu was one of the premier free agents on the market a couple of years ago. That's my but, point. But because I'm, I'm but just I'm, like you and the players that I covet, that the players that I like, the style right, of but, play that I like. But your point is, why didn't everybody see this coming? Or why, didn't, why was he so undervalued? He was undervalued because his power numbers were not there. Nobody cares about a guy that's going to hit 300 with 150 singles. Nobody wants that. Nobody so, wants it. So you think that, and I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just asking. You think that the reason why DJ LeMahieu is being viewed right now as one of the top free agents on the market is solely because his power numbers are going yeah. up? His power numbers have gone have gone up now. His on base percent, his his on his slugging percentage went to 518. He he wasn't even close to that in Colorado. So he if he like, hit, if if he hits if both of these past two seasons with the Yankees if he hit 320 but he did the normal eight to ten home runs you don't think he's getting he he's getting top dollar on the market right nope. now? Are you kidding me? Not a chance. No, I and I I agree with you. I Not agree a chance. You I agree with Not you. Not a chance. But the fact that his power numbers went up, that's what makes him even more valuable because you even look at his doubles. Look at his doubles. Look at his doubles, 12, 21, 15, 21, 32, 28, and 32. All right, the last three seasons in Colorado, they went up, 33 with the Yankees. You know, they want these, these teams, they want to see power numbers now. It's wonderful that you hit 320, but you hit 320 with 150 singles. Nobody wants that, and nobody's paying for that. Nobody. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just the way baseball is now. 
whether we agree with it or not, that's just the way the game's going. Right. So look, he's not. He look. I, he's not. He's not. He's not creating a bidding war with anybody here. There's no bidding war. And if I'm the Mets, I go to DJ Mayhew. If they really want him, I say, here's here's your five years, hundred million. Yes or no? You got five minutes. Let me know. No? Okay. I'm never coming back to it. That's all. Very simple. I'm not playing this game with the Yankees going back and forth or whatever. He's going to go back to the Yankees and come back. Here it is. I walk in the door to his agent and say, all right, you want the five years, hundred million? You take it or leave it right now. Here's the offer. Take it or leave it. You got five minutes right now. Think about it. That's well, I it. Would, I would think that that would probably be the viewpoint of most front offices. I don't think that anybody wants to be playing those reindeer games, but the fact that this is dragged on like this, you know, it either tells me one of two things. It either tells me one that there hasn't been that many suitors and that he's just trying to get the dollar amount from the Yankees or two that teams have been taking that approach. And it's, saying, it's a combination here's a, here's of a money. few things. Here's the, the money. Don't circle back to the Yankees. Sign it now if you want it. And and he's not. The because Yankees Brian Cashman a ton did of say today that he has gotten offers. Well, I don't know. I, look, he he could say what he wants, Cashman. He wouldn't just. I heard the interview today with Cashman on uh, with Cotton and Roberts. But look, here's the bottom line: he's not going to have a lot of suitors. He's just not. They they might be trying to create a market that's not there, and it's not going to be there. Who's his it's agent? You know, it's not Boris, is it? No, I don't think. No, it's not. Definitely not Boris. We would have heard that. I don't know who his agent is, but now, look, I don't he, think Boris reps any of the big uh, free agents on the market this this year, does he? I don't think so. I don't think so. But look, I don't think there's a market to be created with him because there's no teams right now that want to spend that sort of money on 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 a DJ Mayhu right now. They're not going to do it. They're gonna go. They're gonna go in, into the bottom of the barrel. They're gonna go bargain basement hunting right now. All these teams lost money. The only team that the only owner that didn't lose money was Steve Cohn because he wasn't in uh, an owner last year. The Yankees lost a ton of money last year, and the Yankees could say what they want. The Yankees are looking to cut back. They lost so much money here, and you've heard this over the last couple of years with the Yankees. They are not looking to go over to that luxury tax threshold again and take another beating. Because the bottom line is the Yankees are, are, are saddled with, with big contracts right now. Because here you have Stanton. Do we have to go through this again? Cole, you got to sign Judge. You got to sign Torres. You know, so you got some big ticket items here right now. So the fact that they're playing ball right now with DJ LeMahieu is no shock here. Because they got all the big fish to fry as well. It's not about just DJ LeMahieu. And not only that, Andrew, uh, they got to put together a pitching staff. Because if the Yankees think they're going into the pitching staff with Severino's not going to be ready to June or July, you got Derek Cole and after that, what? Domingo Herman? You don't know. You don't even know if they're going to even allow him to come back into that, into that organization after what he did. Uh, Jordan Montgomery? Uh, Clark Schmidt? We got a Debbie Garcia. We've been through this before. So they got to build a pitching staff as well, the Yankees. So look, the fact that they're playing hardball with DJ LeMayo is no surprise here. It's no surprise. Now I'm we'll looking right happens. now. It, it seems like the uh, the top dog that Boris reps in this year's free agency is Jackie Bradley Jr. So it doesn't seem like there's any big names that Scott Boris yeah, is repping this well, time around. Look. But he cashed in big time last year, <laughs> Boris, with his clients. 
Oh yeah, of course. I mean, between look, who is uh, it? Rend- Rendon and Strasburg and uh, Bradley's going to be one of these guys that's going to get a one-year deal. He's probably going to have to get a one-year deal himself, Jackie Bradley Jr. You know, because he's another guy. He had a big year last year, very good year, and in, in a obviously in a shortened season. But he's an up and down type of guy. He's a terrific defensive player, but n- not a guy that the Mets have because the Mets already have enough left-handed hitters in their lineup. They don't need another one. Although he is a terrific center fielder. For that, for that matter, you mentioned his name once before. You might as well sign a guy like Kevin Pillar to play center field if you're not going to get Jeff uh, uh, George Springer. If you're going to bring in either Lindor or Arenado, you know, I'd rather just see you do that. So let's see what happens. I mean, you know, look, again, you're not going to have bidding wars with any of these players. And that's the problem. Where in the past you used to. Now, all of a sudden, you got the Rockies coming to the Mets. Hey, could you make us an offer for Arenado? Well, here's your offer. I'll give you Brandon Nimmo and you take on Cano's contract. That's our offer. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> I mean, look, you're coming to us. You're looking to dump money. Well, I think I, I, at the end of the day, no matter who they they, they trade Arenado to, uh, they're going to end up having to, having to take money take money on. And and honestly, I don't think the Rockies would be against taking someone like Robinson Cano because the, the you know, he gets he forfeits his whole salary this season, so he's only on the books for two more years. And you figure two more years at 20 million a year is not the same as Darinato at how much is he making close to 35 million for another 8 years. So if they're really looking to shed salary, they really have no leverage. But I, again, that goes back to another point of mine. I know the pandemic and teams are strapped for cash because of the pandemic, but what's with these guys signing big contracts and then right away the front offices are looking to get rid of them? Well, I mean, look, I mean, this is, you know, we're in a, we're in a weird situation here right now with what's going on because, again, as I mentioned earlier, Andrew, you got this vaccination coming out now. This is going to play a big part in what's going on. And that's why I think some of these, some of these players are just going to wait it out. I really, really do. I don't think you're going to see movement. I, I, and I think the owners would rather have it that way too because I think they want to see if they're going to be able to put fans in the stands. Now, you look at that, you look at that Cleveland game the other day. They might have had about 25,000 people in that stadium, no? In that game Monday night? Uh, I think it was. I think it was thirteen thousand. I think is what I saw. Yeah, more line. than that, but all right. So it's still thirteen thousand. It sounded like a lot more than that too. That place was I'm loud. Sure they, it was loud. I'm sure maybe they pumped in a little bit of extra noise there too, because I think you're allowed to. But um, so even with the fans in the stands, you're allowed to pump the noise in. I I think I think I think you have to go to a certain decibel level. They allow you to. I believe so, if I'm not mistaken. But look anyway. Even even if baseball can get fifteen thousand people in a stadium, it's fifteen thousand more than what they were expecting. At least it's some sort of revenue. Right now, they have zero. Right, they have zero. So I wouldn't be surprised. That's what I'm saying. I would not be surprised if things get it, it kind of gets weighted out a little bit. I I think right now maybe you'll see more in a trade market than you will in free agency right now. And it goes back to what I asked Tim Healy. Would some of these guys just accept a one-year deal because of what's going on with the pandemic? And it might happen because they might have nowhere else to turn at, at a certain point. Come come January, late January, February, if Springer and, and Bauer still are in Stein, they might just take a one-year deal because of the unknown. 
And well, a, guy, just, a guy like Bauer, who's already publicly said in the past that he wants to play his whole career under one-year contracts, it would seem a lot more feasible for him to do something like that. Springer, I'm not so sure of, but at, at, you're right. <coughs> Excuse me. You're right. At a certain point, these players have to think about it. Maybe this is the only other option for them. I mean, it, at, at one point, does d- nothing materialize? I mean, we saw it a couple years ago with Kimbrell and Keichel not being signed until July of the season. Can that kind of thing happen again? With so much uncertainty, I feel like at the end of the day, you need to find a team. And, and if even if this is a, just a one-year deal, you got to take it, right? I mean, look, would you offer Bauer one year for $40 million? <laughs> You know, I personally wouldn't. I personally wouldn't do that because I, I think – there needs to be a we've been saying with the Mets how they need to create a process right a process of doing things the right way I don't think this team is going to win a World Series this year I mean if they got a few more pieces and became competitive do they have a chance sure but signing Bauer for one year and then what you know you threw 40 million dollars at the wall it didn't work and then you're stuck in the same predicament as you were before you had him I'd prefer to sign guys that have a little bit of tenure on the contract so you could start to build something that's just my opinion I think Bauer's a great pitcher I'd love to have him on a team but at a one-year deal, I, I'm, I just, I'm not sure if I would do that. I, I agree. I don't know if I'd like that either. I, I don't know if I would like that myself. For any, for any of these guys, to be honest with you. I mean, hey, let's – if at the end of the day, let's say, you know, uh, you know the one-year $40 million, I would say definitely not. But, you know, let's say it's uh, – we're, we're a week or two away from spring training, right? And nobody has signed George Springer. And all of a sudden, you could pounce on him for one year, you know, $20 million, like around the same amount of money that Marcus Stroman got in the qualifying offer, somewhere between 18 and, and $24 million you can get him on a one-year deal, I'd say screw it. Bring him in. There you go. And then, now, you know, you, can, you take someone for one year. See, a guy like Bauer, I wouldn't trust. A guy like Springer, I would. Maybe you sign him for a year and you have negotiation right, uh, negotiating rights with him to try to carve out a long-term deal once he's under contract with you. A guy like Bauer, I would be iffy on doing that because I don't think you can trust him. Because he's very, very strange with the way he operates. So I, I, I just, I don't know how that whole thing would play out. And that's another thing too. I actually wanted to ask you as far as length of contract goes and stuff like that and negotiating. Would you feel more comfortable about assuming, like, assuming that the trade package you'd have to give up for both of these players is the same? Would you rather trade for Nolan Arenado knowing that you have him for the entirety of his contract or trade for Francisco Lindor and take the chance of re-signing him? Man, oh man. You know, I thought about this today. You know, the situation is this. The Mets, if they have a strength, it would be it would be at shortstop, correct? With as him far as trade as far as trade chips? Well, you're, you're talking Lindor Arenado, you said, correct? Right. Okay. So the Mets have a strength at, at, at shortstop. That would be that. I'm not going to say they're great there, but you know him in at is one thing about him in at is he could hit a little bit, but he's got a gold glove at, at the position. Are we agreeing on that? Absolutely. Okay. Rosario, we just, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, um, you know, I'll give that kid one more year, maybe. You also have Ronnie Mauricio. That's one of their top prospects. What do we have at third base? Who's our third baseman? Jeff McNeil? 
See, this is why it's so confusing to me because I saw before Anthony DeComo, who's the beat writer for the Mets for MLB.com, he tweeted something before, and I had to, like, you know, clean off my proverbial glasses and do a double take and make sure I was reading it correctly because it made no sense. He tweeted before because there were news being made about the, the Rockies wanting the Mets to engage about Nolan Arenado. And DeComo tweets this before. He says, I see Nolan Arenado has entered the news cycle again. Here's a reminder that it is difficult to envision the Mets trading their scant prospect capital for a soon-to-be 30-year-old at a well-covered position. How is third base a well-covered position for the Mets? They don't have a third baseman. They don't have a third baseman because McNeil's decent there. He's their only third baseman. If you're going to count on J.D. Davis, then DeComo's a moron. He said trading trading your prospect capital for a a soon-to-be 30-year-old at a well-covered position whose salary would drastically reduce their ability to fill actual needs. But what? You're not trading your prospect capital. That's how ignorant this guy is. You are not trade if the Rockies are coming to you and basically begging you to take the money off the, the contract off their hands. You are not trading prospects. And guess what? Because if they here's the bottom line: you could say no. I have the leverage. Right. Everybody has the leverage except the team that has Lindor and the team that has Arenado. They have That's no the leverage. Line. Those two teams. And you even have certain leverage on Lindor because the Indians are another team. They're not going to sign him, and he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So then, so you know, the Indians don't have much leverage either. They have to trade him before the season starts because no team worth their salt is going to give up anything for Lindor in July, not knowing if they could resign him. At the very least, you're going to look for an extension before you make the trade for him, right? So, yeah, I would, I would, I would argue so that the Indians- you're an, he's an absolute buffoon for saying that because and and anybody with Arenado who. What am I going to give up? You think I'm going to give up my top prospects when I'm taking on $200 million in salary from, from a guy that you're looking to get rid of because you can't afford him anymore? So well, wait, let me give up the farm fan. That's what I was going to say. Is that I, th- I, would, I, I would even say that I think Cleveland has a considerable amount of leverage. Um, they got considerable some. amount of more leverage than the Rockies do. They got some. At least, at least the Indians are not shedding a humongous salary. They're just looking to get value no, on, but a it is on an expiring it, contract. It, it, it is a humongous salary. It's a yeah. humongous salary because the team that acquires Lindor is going to sign him, and he's going to get big money. So it, it you can consider that a humongous salary. But the Indians salary. themselves aren't shedding it though, because the Indians don't possess that salary. So no, my my overall right, point is right. that the the only thing that the Indians possess right now is an expiring contract that they're looking to get value for. The Rockies are possessing a guy but who's not going to get two hundred and thirty million dollars and has eight right. years left on the deal. So you're the not Indians have get, more leverage. You're not going to get equal value for Lindor. And the Indians have to know that. No, but at least when you have a guy on an expiring contract like that, you would at least have more teams that might be willing to get in the mix. And you, you know, and you're not going to get top value, and you're not going to create a bidding war. But at least there's going to be a couple of suitors. The Rockies, I don't think they have any suitors. I mean, they there's a report that came out that the Rockies are looking for the Mets to engage. The reason why is because they know the Mets have money. No one else has the money to be able to take that Arenado contract on, so they have zero leverage, none. So let me ask you a question. And, and and I thought about this with the Indians. I just gotta see. I don't know what his what his contract is, though. I gotta see what his contract is. Let me see. Let me see. Let's see his contract before I pose this question to you. Got me interested. Because uh, I was thinking about this today, actually. 
and this has to do with the um with the with the Lindor trade. Do you give up a little bit more than what you want to give up? And not listen, it wouldn't be a, a lot more. Let me just get his contract status, and then we'll, we'll go at it right here. Do 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 do. Come on. All right, here we go. Okay. By the way, I'm seeing too that the Nationals okay. are showing increased interest in Yadier Molina. Okay, that's all right. They could have him. Okay, so <laughs> actually, you know what? He's got a pretty decent contract. It, it, it's it's a doable contract. Let's hear it. Huh. Do you do a Lindor trade and try and get take back Carlos Carrasco as well? You know, this is this is a good podcast. You should try listening. Why? I brought that up a few weeks ago. Oh, what? That was a few weeks ago. You want me to remember that? Come on. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a good podcast. You should try listening. It's a good listen. All right. Well, let's let's pose the question again then. <sighs> yeah, definitely. Because you have a needed starting, you know, you have a needed starting pitcher. Okay. But now you're going to have to give up a, a little bit because listen, Carrasco's, he's 33 years old. I like Carrasco. Very good but pitcher. But he's not on an expiring contract. He has two more years left after this. Yes, one. but but they're manageable. It's you know he signed a four year, forty seven million dollar contract. Right. So you know he he basically gets a base salary of eleven million seven fifty in twenty twenty one, and twelve million this year. So look, it's doable. That's I, a doable contract. If for a team like Cleveland, who seems to pump out pitchers every other week. I don't think that they would mind parting with a guy like Carrasco. They have Bieber. They have Plesac. Uh, they have that kid McKenzie. I mean, they've shown their willingness to part with their pitchers before. They traded Kluber. They traded Bauer. They traded Clevenger. They just keep pumping out pitchers. That's a, it's a, a big strength of theirs as far as their scouting and player development. Okay, so they're he able gets, to pump out pitchers nonstop. He gets $12 million this year, $12 million in, in 2022, and $14 million in 2023. He's actually got a vesting option or $3 million buyout in 2023. So that's manageable. And what, are the, what with, are the requirements for the vesting it, option? It vests with 170 innings pitched. And he's got to be healthy to start the 2023 season. That's a doable contract. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what? how much is the vesting option for in 2023? $14 million. And his base salary the other years is what, 12? 12 and 12. 12, 12, and a 14 million vesting option if he reaches 170 innings. I mean, if a guy is going to reach 170 innings at that age, that's a guy that you kind of want to keep. So I wouldn't even mind bumping up the $2 million in base salary if he's going to reach 170 innings and be healthy going into that season. Now, what it would take to get him, if you have him included in a deal, you'd have to give up a little bit more, obviously. But look, I tell you the truth, you you put you put DeGrom with Stroman, Carrasco, Syndergaard coming back in June or July with Peterson. Now you have the semblance of, of a staff. And then what I probably do is with the savings that you that you saved on, on it, let's see, Bauer was was the object of your affection. With the money you save getting Carrasco, go out and sign another big time relief pitcher. Or or you could just sign Springer and call it a day. 
Well, you could sign Springer, but here's the bottom line. Would you rather have Lindor, Carrasco, or Springer? That's the bottom line. And you got to figure if you if you give up, if you if you trade for Lindor, Carrasco, maybe you're giving up, I don't know, one of your top three pitching prospects. Uh, obviously, one of your shortstops, whichever one would, would be to Cleveland's liking. I kind of have a feeling uh, that know. Allen would have to be included in that, and I would say okay. no. So, so maybe you have Matt Allen, Brandon Nimbo. Let's go Matt Allen, Brandon Nimbo. Matt Allen, Brandon Nimbo, and Jimenez for Lindor and Carrasco. Uh, if I have a, a, a handshake agreement that Lindor is signing here, then I, I think maybe, yes, I do. Well, you'd, ha- you'd have to. You'd have to make sure he's going to sign. Because now I'm actually looking at this now, too, and Nolan Arenado actually has an opt-out after the 2021 season. I doubt that he would opt out maybe I doubt $35 he'd opt million out a that. year until 2026. I but I doubt he would opt out of that as well. But any team trading for Arenado would have to make sure he's going to waive that opt-out. Right. Which he probably wouldn't have a problem unless he so, really didn't so want to play he, with this that goes team. back to your question. Then what would you feel more comfortable about? Would you feel more comfortable trading for Lindor and having him sign or more comfortable in Arenado not opting out? Well, here's the problem. The Mets need it. If I can, if I know I can get Lindor with Carrasco, I, I would probably look to lean that way. The thing is though, the Mets need a third baseman more than they need a shortstop. So now I know I asked you this a couple weeks ago, but I forget. You do you think who's more of an upgrade, Arenado over J.D. Davis or Lindor over Rosario or slash Jimenez, whoever? I know I asked Arenado. you this a few weeks ago, but I forget, I forget your your yeah, answer. Yeah, but look, who's who's the better player, Lindor or Arenado? Um, I would say Lindor. Yeah, he, I don't know he, though because Arenado's. I mean, Lindor has a really good glove. Arenado's glove. Arenado's really That's a platinum glove. He's he's Brooks Robinson 2.0. Yeah, yeah. But I what? think I'd still go to Lindor. I think Lindor is the better all around player. I do. Because because again, I, I know I brought this up a few weeks ago. The, the what what Lindor brings to your lineup, like what does Arenado bring to your lineup? He brings a big slugging right-handed bat. There's already, I'm not saying that he's better than Arenado or as good as Arenado because Pete Alonso isn't, but you already have a right-handed slugging bat. You don't have a switch-hitting, power, slugging, fast who could steal bases, and defensive shortstop in the lineup. That you don't have. Right. So I think Lindor brings a lot more tools to the table that this team doesn't currently possess than Arenado does, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Like, for All instance, right. it, it's like the Yankees. Like, we say that the Yankees didn't need Stanton. Why didn't they need Stanton? Because they already had that right-handed slugger and Aaron Judge who plays the outfield. Stanton brings the same thing to the table, so the Yankees didn't necessarily need that. It was good to add him. They thought it could help, but it wasn't necessary. And that's kind of how I feel about Arenado. I, I don't think, you know, we do need a third baseman, and it would be a humongous upgrade. But as far as what he brings to the table, I think Lindor is a better fit than Arenado. That's all. Knicks actually just won their preseason game against the Cavs. Look out, break them up. It's two wins for the Knicks in the preseason. So what are we, are we what what's going to be the talk of the town on talk radio tomorrow? That the Knicks are sneaking into a 
eight, I'm, seven or eight I'm seed. telling you, I'm going to guarantee you something right now. You're going to have some idiots calling up. You know, the Knicks don't look so bad, and I think that with Thibodeau there, and if this guy there, and that guy there, bup, 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 everybody, <laughs> people are going to get way ahead of themselves. My God. This is the worst thing that happened to the Knicks is they win a couple of preseason games. The and defense Kevin, looks better. Right away, they look better. They look like they're passing the ball. Fundamentally, they look good. And then the first game of the season, they're going to get blown out by 30. And then everybody be going ballistic again. In 22 minutes, 16 points, 5 of 8 shooting, 3 of 5 from downtown for uh, Kevin Knox. Yeah, well, look, I said, you know, you want to see development from Knox. I think I think Obi Topin and, and R.J. Barrett are, are the building blocks. And I think you need to see progress from Knox. I think you need to see that he's going to be, you know, a 30-minute, 35-minute player on the court, and he's going to give you some good minutes. He's going to give you some scoring. Um, so let's see what happens with Knox. Like I said, I told you this before in the past. He's still a young player. He needs to be given a chance. I think he got yanked around by prior coaching staffs. I said that. So let's see what happens. Yeah, I think the one thing with Barrett is that he really needs to improve his outside shooting before I can consider him a real building block. He has time, but he needs to improve especially with the with the nature of the game nowadays, needs to be able to shoot more from the outside to really be a, a number one option, which is what you're hoping for when you draft someone third overall. That's always so, something you can improve, though. Yeah, yeah. Now we've seen how many big men come into the league now and now work on their shooting, you know? Like, what yeah. did you see Dwight? a guy like Dwight Howard, who's a big man who's been in the league for 12 years? What was the, his main focus in the offseason last year? Was improving his outside shooting. Just the direction in which the game is going. Everybody... Everybody does that. And it's it's something that you can, if you put enough time in, you can improve. Now, is he going to be a knockdown shooter? Probably not. But there is room for improvement. No, but you know, Andrew, you can always improve your outside. You can always improve your shooting with with, with what? A work ethic. Yeah. Just have a work ethic. That's it. You can always and they improve have a, They have the kind shooting. of coach there that instills a good work ethic, you know. Look, you're going you're gonna, to, as far as Thibodeau is concerned, I've said it a million times here, he's going to get them to play the game the right way. You're going to see a fundamentally sound team. You're going to see a team playing hard, a team playing on defense. Will it translate into wins? Not many, but you're going to see a better product on the court. That I can guarantee you because Thibodeau does not accept any BS. He's not going to accept lackluster play. He's not going to accept any of that. He's not going to accept any of that. So look, they'll be they'll just be a better coach team, put it that way. And if it translates into 25 wins, Nick fans, Let's all be happy with that. Let's not be like all of the, these giant fans I got to hear calling up every other every other week. I don't want to hear it every other night with the Knicks. Win by 30 one night, lose by 30 the next. Three-game winning streak, seven-game losing streak. They suck. They're good. Coach stinks. Get, fire the coach. Get rid of this. Let's just calm down. Again, key word is progress. There you go. And we will progress to closing out the episode. Yes. So- we got a big week of NFL coming up. As we said before, Giants and Browns flex to Sunday night. Um, definitely a must-win opportunity for the Giants if they want to get into the playoffs in Week 15. And, yeah, the Jets taking on the Rams as 17-and-a-half-point underdogs. Oh, so. God, please. Why even mention them? Dear God. <laughs> That's it. There's really no interesting games as I'm looking at it this week. There's really a lot of snooze fests. I mean, the Thursday night game is a snooze fest. You got... Two Saturday games: Bills, Broncos, Panthers, Packers. Nothing special. Nothing on the, nothing on this week's uh, slate really piques the interest at all. For the exception Chiefs, of Chiefs Saints. Yeah, Chiefs Saints definitely piqued my interest. Uh, even the Giants Browns. I mean, the Giants know, game. Yeah. Well, Texas yeah. Colts is a good game. 
Yeah. Yeah. Although the that, Texans, I, that shocked me. That loss to the Bears this weekend really, really shocked me. I have to yeah, say, uh, uh, listen, I'm not going to look too too much into it, but see, Trubis- Trubisky has played game. pretty well these last two weeks. He well, really look, has. He's, he's better than false. I mean, you know. That's yeah. not saying a lot either, but he's no. better than Foles. But the Seahawks-Washington game should be a good game. Yeah, yeah. I'm and hoping. actually, you know, even the Eagles and Cardinals, I want to see what Jalen Hurts does again, you know, second week. Not a great passer, but look, he could run the ball. He's, mo- he's mobile. He made the, he made some decent throws last week. Let's see what he could do coming off a second, you know, second straight uh, second straight game now. So we'll see. You know, we'll what's, see. What's the Twitter handle for you again, Rob? RobOG6. At Robo G6. Robo G6. I need okay. some followers, people, man. I got four followers here. I feel four. lonely. Four. What the That's hell is it. everybody doing? Get on Twitter and follow them. I'm trying Come to on. tweet too. I'm tweeting. I hope I'm tweeting the right way. I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. Well, I saw, I saw you tweeted Steve Cohen. That seemed like it was the. Uh, you, you yeah, I was trying to get him to follow me. I figured, let me take a sound. shot. Yeah, good luck. I don't know if he's going to follow you. No, I figured although, it would be, although it would be funny if you only had four followers and one of them was Steve Cohen. Oh, that would be awesome. That's what I was banking <laughs> on. I said, what? I can't lose. What's the harm in it? Let me just yeah, tweet so it. Anybody, just... anybody out there, you know, I, I, not that I have a lot of followers on Twitter. I think I have about 200, but oh, I, I don't really. 196 more than me. <laughs> that's true, but I don't necessarily look to see if I've gained any new followers. I really don't. I started um, looking at these analytics on the, on the Twitter, like the, People that that look at your tweets or wh- whatever these analytics are all about. Yeah, you could kind of you could see like how many times your tweet came up on somebody's feed. You could see how many times like someone clicked on it, or it, there's like what's called impressions, which is like yes, the that was of people it. who impression. saw it yeah. or like yeah. forwarded it somewhere. Or yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's above my pay grade. Yeah, like I seen one of my tweets went to over a thousand impressions, and I got excited. It's like wow, over a thousand, and well, basically the percentage was like zero point three percent. It was like. That don't look so good. You know what it was? That was probably the tweet that you sent to Steve Cohen because it's in the comment no, it, section. It, it so everybody's wasn't. scrolling by it. It actually wasn't. It was. It was. Uh, it was. A, it was a tweet with with that with that Alyssa Rose that oh, I sent. Howie out. Rose's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Howie Rose's daughter. Yes, yes. Shit, I didn't know that. Yes, that's funny. Yes. She's like one of the queens of uh, Mets Twitter. She's a pisser. She's a good follow. Yeah, She's funny. I, I, I sent uh, I sent the tweet out to her in, in regards to the Mets, and then I sent another tweet out to Trevor Bauer, where he was basically ranking his top five teams, and I basically said there ain't no ranking top five teams. There's one team, the New York Mets. It's a no brainer, and that yeah. was it. There you go. So I sent See, him that. That rubs me the wrong way. I'm sorry. Before we go, I do have to say, and I hate the fact that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. As a Mets fan, it pains me. He's going to be wearing a Mets uniform this year, and I hope that he does well. Oh, no. Who are you going to talk about? Blevins? But he's the biggest phony in the world. No, not Jerry Blevins. That's Marcus oh. Stroman. He's such a phony. Oh, yeah, please. He's, he's such a fraud. fraud. I can't take it. So he, what he does is he waits his two weeks of service in last year's season and then opts out and leaves the team hanging out to dry without any starting pitching due to – COVID concerns, which isn't true. I follow him on Instagram. He was out and about. He was going to the gym. He was doing Pilates and yoga at a public place. Yeah, he had a mask on, whatever, but he was out and about. He had no COVID concerns. He knew the team wasn't going to go anywhere and didn't feel like playing. 
Then all of a sudden, he got the qualifying offer from the Mets. He signs it, and now there's a lot of buzz around the team because Steve Cohen's here, and all this guy is doing is just gassing up the Mets on Twitter. Now, normally, when a player who's on my favorite team is talking talking openly on social media about how much they love being a part of the team, normally that gets me excited. But he's a phony. He's a fraud. I saw him last year leave the team because he knew that there were no expectations for the team. He let he, he hung them out to dry. He just abandoned them. And now all of a sudden, because the Mets are like the cool new kid on the block, now all of a sudden he's pumping it up on Twitter and talking to all the fans. He's a phony. He's a fraud. I hope he pitches well. I hope he leads the Mets to the playoffs. But he's a fraud. I well, you know he's gonna you know he's gonna pitch well, right? And you know why? It's a walk year. Exactly. And anyone exactly. who gives into that stuff is just as much of a fraud as he is. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, uh, you know, yeah, I love I, I love him to death. I love him to death. He's actually one of my favorite hosts on the radio. I know I said this before. Salicata, one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite personalities on the fan. I think he's great. And I had the opportunity to, to intern at SNY. And uh, he was a really nice guy. I met him on a few occasions. And I love him. And, and we agree on a lot of things. But he is like fully on the Marcus Stroman trade. And it's really getting on my nerves. He's like buying into all the nonsense that Stroman. You know what? Stroman's like a politician. He just spews a bunch of BS at people, and some people buy it, and some people don't. I'm one of the people who could see through the BS. I don't buy it. He's yeah, no, I, don't, I'm, I was never a fan of Stroman. I mean, look, I, I'm a fan of his because he's a Met now, and I want him to, to pitch well. But as far as outside the game of baseball, I see some of the, the stuff that he tweets and stuff, and I'm just, I, I don't know, just not into it. No. Not into it, but you know what? I don't care. That, listen, that's his personal business. He could do what he wants to do. I can care less. It's not going to affect my life either way. You know what? Just get on the mound and pitch good for my team. I don't care what you do outside of that. Well, you know, you know who's you know who's not a fraud on Twitter? Rob OG6. He's not a fraud. Right. Not a fraud. He's a no-nonsense guy. He no comes nonsense. out tells it like it is, so you can give him a follow. I'm trying, guy who, I'm trying to put tweets out there little by little. I'm getting a little bit more comfortable, but I still I still need a tutorial from you one day. And you need a following. So everybody get out there and mash the follow button yeah, please, and give Rob some followers keep so he feels even me. more comfortable. This there is pretty go. low. I keep on checking my followers every every day. I'm like four. I keep on seeing four, 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 four. Like, geez, four still. Four. <laughs> Well, I mean, for your age group, uh, do you have a lot of friends that are on Twitter or not? What do we, what do we got to get into age group for? Well, why I'm we saying, go, why for we your age, age group, group? Yeah, what are you, 57? Yeah, why do we got to go into age group for? Because there's a lot of 57-year-olds where Twitter, Facebook is the primary Twitter. social media platform. No, I, don't, I don't ever do Facebook. But well, you yeah. don't do Facebook, but a lot Twitter of people should, your age do. Twitter should show now bounds. It shouldn't have to be, you know, an age grouping. I'm not saying that you, you're, if you hit a certain age, you're not allowed to be on Twitter. I'm just saying the the preference for people of your age group is, seems to be preference. Facebook. The preference should be reading my tweets and enjoying my tweets and saying, hey, I like this guy. I like what he has to say. I'm going to follow him. See, that's a good way to think. But unfortunately, as of yet, it seems like only four people feel that way. Yeah, I know. But nobody <laughs> knows my age on Twitter. It's not like I'm putting out there, hey, eat applesauce with your dinner tonight because that's good for everybody at 57 years old and older. You know, I'm not putting out things having to do with AARP. You might get some more Twitter impressions if you did tweet something like that. No, I don't want to put things like that. I just really just, I'm only tweeting stuff due to with sports. That's it. Well, that's what I use Twitter for also. That's it. It's only for sports. I don't, I don't get into all this political shit or you know, all this other stuff people put out there. I just want to deal with sports. That's it. That's all. I don't care about anything else. Well, you the can sports, also see certain things and I might, I might reply to them. You can also reach- follow me on Twitter too. 
at Andrew I think Lane I, I do follow you. No, you follow I, me. I'm telling the listening I audience while they're following yeah. you, they should follow me too. And I know yeah. I've, I've said that week after week. I don't know if my followers are going up. I really don't pay attention to the followers that much. Um, so maybe I did get some new followers. I don't know. But if you haven't followed yet, follow at Andrew May underscore 21. You can also follow me on Instagram, A underscore May 21. Now, what are the chances we get you on Instagram? That's the real burning question. On yeah, no, that's, listen, I, that's forget about Instagram. I don't know. That really? I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't need to do Instagram for what? I like the Twitter because I get a lot of news on Twitter and I get a lot of sports news. I like it. That's what I like about Twitter. It's a lot of good sports news on there. That's what I enjoy it for. Yeah, but Instagram has a nice little flashiness to it. You know, yeah, a flashy I don't guy, though. Flash. You just told me I was 57 years old, and maybe that's the reason why I'm not getting Twitter followers. Now you're trying to put me on Instagram for flashiness? There ain't now, no yeah, flashiness yeah. to me, my friend. Now, yeah, you're right. Stay off Instagram. <laughs> it's not good. Not good. The, the cutoff no is flash. 55. You get over 55. I, didn't have, I, I wasn't flashy when I was 27. No, that's 57 right now. Well, never change. <laughs> I like that. Um a underscore May 21 on Instagram, Andrew May underscore 21 on Twitter. We're recording on Wednesday night. It'll be up by Thursday, and we'll break down a full week's worth of sports when it comes time next week. Hopefully, we get some more MLB offseason news. Uh, hopefully, we get a Giants win to break down to keep themselves in a playoffs mix. Uh, hopefully, the Jets don't do anything catastrophic to allow us to talk about them because I'd prefer yeah. if we didn't because it's just <laughs> nauseating, but you never know what happens on a weekly basis. So we'll break everything down for you next week. As always, thanks for listening. Follow us on social media for all the latest news and thanks for the continued support. And hey, listen, everybody drive safely. Be safe yes, with this in the blizzard. Snow. Yes. You I know, haven't looked uh, outside. I, I, it's I'm pretty, yeah, it's, it's, I can't see it's it. Bad, it's bad now, but it's going to get even worse, you know, in the, in the middle of the night from 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. It's, it's supposed to stop between 10 and 12 tomorrow. So just, you know, be safe. If you have to travel, just be safe. Take your time. You know, the roads are going to be a little treacherous. I just started hearing a snow plows coming around already. So hopefully there's salt in the streets and everything. So just be careful, everybody out there. And hopefully, God willing, with the vaccines coming, uh, you know, we, we can maybe somehow put a this, this pandemic will start to dissipate a little bit. You know, let's see what happens. Hopefully by February, March, we see, see some numbers drastically going downward and his vaccine works. So, you know, in the meantime, wear your mask and holiday season's coming around and just be safe with you and your family. Yep. I'll utter the same exact thing. Stay safe and hopefully we return to normalcy pretty soon. Looks like it's right around the corner. So just hang in there in the meantime. Stay him, safe yeah. in the blizzard. Stay safe during the pandemic. And, uh... That's, that's basically it. So we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks for supporting, as always. For Rob Frey, I'm Andrew May. We'll see you guys next time.